Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. I'm tired. Australia in cricket last night got bowled out for 177. And it's NBA trade deadline day. I'm very, very, very tired. I'm going on four hours of sleep. But we're going to rock it anyway. Joining me is Mark Schindler. He's in the building. We're going to talk about everything that happened after the Russell Westbrook deal Yesterday, if you want my thoughts on the Russell Westbrook three-team deal for the Los Angeles Lakers, you can go and listen to the 40 minutes that Cole Huff and I talked about it yesterday. We will still touch on it a bit today because the Lakers made some other additional moves, and I'll probably ask Mark for his take on the deal as a whole. But if you're looking for more of a deep dive on that trade, I would say go back through the archives. Uh I do know that a lot of people in the YouTube comments, Mark, though, are commiserating with you in this moment of sadness in your life. Terry Taylor has unfortunately been waived by the Indiana Pacers. I know that's the biggest move of the day, and I know that you need to talk about it, Mark. I mean, let's just it is pretty odd. Get into it. F- full stop. It is kind of a bummer because this dude was like <laughs> awesome to watch last year. Just has never really gotten a super steady run with the team. And understandably the way things have worked out. But uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that he gets another shot sometime moving along. The even bigger thing, George Hill is a pacer again. And he did not. <laughs> um, they did wave Serge Ibaka already. Um, but uh, I mean, man, bring the boys back together. Trade well, you can't trade for him now, but get get Rudy Gay. That's what I wanted in 2013. So, um, you know what it it's gonna it's gonna all come together and gel back again. Bring back Roy. I'm sure he can still block a few shots. So, um, yeah, this has been uh th- today has been crazy. Honestly, you mentioned you are on four hours of sleep. That's about to be me tomorrow because I'm working on like the two biggest projects in my work life right now. And naturally, I spent most of today just refreshing twitter so um <laughs> i will be up late tonight and into the early morning so yeah i'm uh, i'm excited to dive in because i have a lot of thoughts okay so order of operations for people that are looking for specific things right we're going to talk about the kevin durant deal first within that we'll probably end up hitting on the darius basley dario Saric thing then we're going to get into the lakers continued overhaul of the roster that happened today then we're going to talk Jakob Pertl and whatever in the world the Toronto Raptors are doing. Then we're going to get into Josh Hart going to the Knicks. Then the weird James Wiseman move where the Warriors have finally admitted defeat and the Detroit Pistons continue to accumulate former top five picks that are disappointing big men. Next, we're going to go to the weird Matisse Thibel, Jalen McDaniels deal and try and figure out what the Blazers are doing. Then we're going to go to Jay Crowder finally getting his witch to go to Milwaukee, then we're going to talk about the Clippers, try to figure out what they're doing. We're going to get to Eric Gordon, obviously, within that, finally getting his move away from Houston. Finally, we'll hit on some of the smaller things like the Devontae Graham cap dump, Mike Muscala going to Boston, everything like that. That is a mouthful. Okay, are you ready, Mark? Yes, let's get it going. Okay, I don't know if you heard. Overnight, the Phoenix Suns acquired Kevin Durant and TJ Warren. For Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four unprotected first-round picks and a 2028 first-round pick swap. It's hard to overemphasize how big of a deal this is. I have gone back through and tried to figure out historically where this deal falls 
in terms of the biggest NBA trade deadline move in history, essentially. It's up there. And it, it is, I think, all due respect to James Harden going to Brooklyn, all due respect to Carmelo Anthony going to the Knicks. I believe that this Kevin Durant deal is the biggest trade that has happened at the deadline since 1965. Do you know who got dealt in 1965? Is that Wilt? Wilt Chamberlain. After the Philadelphia Warriors moved to the San Francisco Warriors and eventually became the Golden State Warriors, uh, that team essentially got sold for $850,000 in 1965, the entire team got sold for $850,000. That's less than a minimum deal in today's NBA. And that team got sold. It didn't go super well for Wilt in the Bay Area. The owner was quoted as saying the fans never really grew to love Wilt. And the franchise had some financial problems. So they traded Wilt Chamberlain back to Philadelphia, this time to go to the newly relocated 76ers franchise that came from Syracuse. Will Chamberlain was leading the NBA in scoring at that time. It's the only time, I believe, that a scoring leader has been dealt midseason. And that is very equivalent to what happened here. I would have had Kevin Durant as my 2022-23 midseason MVP, as I talked about uh earlier in January with Jason Timpf on the MVP voting midseason show that we did. Kevin Durant has been phenomenal this year. He has been absolutely incredible. He is still at his peak. He is still in his prime. He's averaging over his last 20 games where the Nets went on an absurd 18-2 and run, 30.7 rebounds, five assists, while shooting like 59% from the field, 43% from three, 96% from the line. Do you know what Kevin Durant is shooting from the mid-range this year, Mark? Uh, it's over 50%. Like He is shooting 57% from the mid-range. Do you know good. what the second best player in the league is shooting right now? Ooh, I'm trying to think who the second is. is it? It's not. CP is not up there this year. Uh, with he's the, 11th. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that he's up there, but he wasn't at the top. Is it? Is it Jokic that's there? Jokic is also very high. It's actually D'Angelo Russell, who we might talk about later on today, shooting 51%. Kevin Durant is six points clear percentage-wise of any player in the league in terms of mid-range. If you get him a shot between 3 and 16 feet, he is shooting 60.5% on those shots. That's basically what like an average power forward shoots at the rim like in the half court. It is bonkers. He has essentially made mid-range shots layups. That's how absurd Kevin Durant has been this season. The Phoenix Suns have this guy now with Devin Booker, with Chris Paul, with DeAndre Ayton. What was your immediate thought when this deal went down? Well, um, I didn't have one because my dumbass went to sleep at about 11.45 <laughs> last night. So I woke up uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning to go use the bathroom and uh, then I was up until about six because I was just like trying to wrap my head around all this, uh, getting back to people on things uh, with respect to the trade. Um, I mean, I first and foremost, 
I, I don't want to say that I wasn't expecting it, but just, I mean, all all signs were indicating that this was something that was going to be put off until the summer. Uh, yep. Brooklyn had obviously made the deal with the idea of uh, staying in contention um, this year. Um, I think for the Nets, like, it's a pretty good haul back. I don't think that this is like – I mean, obviously, it's Kevin Durant, so you would uh, – it, like I, I'd have to pull up in front of me what it's compared to the James Harden deal. Like I think this is obviously less than what you got for Harden, but also noting like you get Mikhail Bridges, who is an incredibly good young player who has made really massive strides this year as a scorer and just um, as an overall offensive player, while also being an all all world all all defense caliber guy. Um, for what I, it's worth, I think this is very clearly more than Houston got for Harden. Yeah, no, I just think in terms of what you're talking about with like picks, it's only the three first rounders. Um, no, it's, it's but, four. They got oh, all it's four. four. Oh, I, I misread it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yes. Oh wait, yeah. Never mind. I did. I did misread that. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I do think this is really good value for for the way everything's playing out. Yeah. Um, before I talk about actual, I just want to say, man, pour one out for Mikel Bridges because like this is one of those ones where to me, that's so tough, man. Like I cannot imagine being him. Like he is. Mo- most importantly, it's Kevin freaking Durant. You trade pretty much anything for that guy but also like Mikhail has been here since the beginning like since this team sucked like I think he was on the he was either on the 13 win team or on the on the, or not 13 the 17 win team or, or the team that got got drafted because of that um and has grown as they've become this this team so like I can't imagine emotionally you know dealing with that that would be pretty wild um but also, I have no qualms about them making this trade. The one thing that I do kind of hate is Cam Johnson got the uh, clipping of his uh, of his uh, of, in in his knee, so that he could come back and play this year instead of getting the full on surgery and missing the rest of the season. Again, that's part of what happens, but that just sucks, man. Uh, yeah, like the, things happen quickly. Um, but I mean, just in terms of this overall, like you can have whatever questions you do about depth. Cause I certainly do. That's part of why I like them getting TJ Warren back, which sneakily, like I think a that's good. He hasn't fully gotten back to who he is. Part of that's been what his role was on Brooklyn. I think there's a chance for him to have a bigger role here. Um, but also like that's, I mean, that's part of the cyclical nature, like part of them becoming the team that they became was the TJ Warren trade moving in a different direction. And now, Oh, Hey, TJ Warren is back. He's here. Um, <laughs> Just kind of hilarious how things work out. Um, but, I mean, you have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul. And notably, yes, Chris Paul has not had – like, obviously, he's been much better of late offensively. He hasn't been the same guy this year. He's still been very good recently. Book is, like, just now coming back and working back into the fold. You add Kevin Durant on top of that, like, yes, you're going to have some kind of fall off at the point of attack with um, with Mikel gone. Like, that goes without saying, but I think – you add Kevin Durant and what he brings as a defender on top of what can be, I don't think it's going to be on paper, like the league's best offense or anything, but when you have three guys, all that caliber as scorers, I mean, that's really impressive. And I almost would argue that Booker is going to be the most important important part of this, um, especially as he took over a lot more offensive usage this year, I should say initial offensive usage. It's not that his usage shifted all that much, but it's more like, you know, a lot of things were being run for him and, or going through him. And I do wonder, if, I mean, uh, I, I would imagine it's going to change. 
Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. But again, like with what the sheer talent is, I think this is to me with where this team is at right now, with how things have been trending with Chris and where they're at. I think this is a home run move that I would probably do 10 times out of 10. And again, to me, the biggest thing is going to be DeAndre Ayton. He's been the biggest bellwether for them this entire season. He's had stretches where he's been awesome. He's had stretches where he's been, frankly, just listless and kind of terrible. Um, They need him to not be that. Like They need him to be the player that he was in the first round of the playoffs last year. Um, And just in general, what he was last year, like he was fantastic last year. They need him to get back to that. Otherwise, I think this is a more moot point in what we're talking about because this is a team that wants to contend for a title. Um, If they get DeAndre Ayton back to that level, then I have all the confidence in this team being arguably the best team in the West. Um, Obviously, you know, the the Nuggets are there. I think I would still pick them over where Phoenix is at right now. But, um, I mean, this is a massive upgrade. And they were starting to, you know, they they were hitting the point of really needing to hit it. Obviously, they've been a little bit better since Booker got back. But, um, yeah, this absolutely massive move that kind of destroyed my brain when I woke up this morning. With Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker healthy, I think this is very clearly the favorite in the West. I I don't even really think it's all that close. I I actually don't know how you stop them on offense. Uh, All that DeAndre Ayton has to do now is just roll hard to the rim. Like, we can we can say that like he might not do that right like he does have a tendency to like to kind of float in the mid post a little bit and kind of you know after he sets a screen kind of hang out a little bit if he just rolls hard to the rim there are going to be so many open opportunities for him and there are going to be you, you have to respect him as a roller because he's so big he's so strong he's he is when he wants to be very physical in terms of the way that he can just move guys. Like he doesn't always use it, but when he wants to, he can. Um, The thing with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant is that they're all so multiple in the way that they get their shots, right? There's not really a way to stop – just in general, there's not really a way to stop Kevin Durant, right? Uh, the way that Boston did it last year is to throw three guys on him, two guys on him, stop him from getting to the spots he wants, stop him from getting the ball basically, and then like double teaming him every time. And they could do that because Brooklyn didn't have anybody else at that point other than Kyrie. Like there was just no offensive weapon that they really had to worry about. You can't do that with Phoenix now. Like Devin Booker and Chris Paul are there and those two are just lethal is shooters. If you leave them open, it's going to go like, there's just not really another way to say it. And Kevin Durant's good enough at hitting those kickouts now that he's going to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, some stuff from the story that I wrote today on Kevin Durant, basically saying why I would have made this same bet. Uh, we had David in the YouTube comments, I think fairly ask, is there enough mid range space for Kevin Durant? Uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul to exist. I personally think there is because they both, all three of them can really space out from behind the three point line. It's obviously not necessarily where they want to get their pull up shots, but all three of them can really knock down catch and shoot opportunities. And on top of it, I don't think the ball is going to be all that like hard to share with that group. So Kevin Durant so far averages 67 touches per game this season. That is just 43rd in the NBA. Like, that's insane if you think about it, that 
he's averaging 30 points a game and he's just 43rd in touches. Uh, that's a top 10 score in the NBA in terms of points per touch. He's just 96th in the NBA in terms of dribbles per touch. He's outside of the 50 or the top 50 in the NBA in terms of time of possession. He has no problem playing off the ball. Like he has no problem, you know, acting and trying to get his spots in the mid range, trying to get his spots on the block and finding that little open area. Like he's going to be able to do that. The other thing is, you mentioned that this is going to be really, really big for Devin Booker. Uh, he's going to have to kind of manage this. I think there's going to be enough ball for him. But more than anything, like Devin Booker's had the hardest guy on the perimeter defending him every season of his career, basically, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, like, oh, all due respect to Chris Paul, all due respect to Mikhail Bridges, you know, other guys that have been in Phoenix. Devin's been the guy that other teams try and sell out and stop, right? You now have to put your best defender on Kevin Durant. Like, Devin Booker's great. Don't get me wrong. Kevin Durant's better. And that means the second best defender on a team, not the best defender on a team, is now going to be guarding Devin Booker. Probably the third best perimeter defender on a team is now going to be guarding Chris Paul. That trickle-down effect in terms of role allocation is real. And it's been real throughout Kevin Durant's career. If you look at what his teammates have shot around him when Kevin Durant is on the court. Go back to Brooklyn. In the three years that he played with Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, these are all per play-by-play stats. Daryl Blackport's great site. Kyrie Irving had a 58.3 effective field goal percentage with Kevin Durant on the court. Without Durant, he had a 55 effective field goal percentage. Nick Claxton with Kevin Durant off the court had a 64 effective field goal percentage. When Kevin Durant was on the court, he had a 75 effective field goal percentage. Joe Harris shot better. Patty Mills got better. The same effect happened in Golden State, too. Stephen Curry had a 61.2 effective field goal percentage when Durant was on the court and just a 57.3 effective field goal percentage when he was off the court. Klay Thompson had a 57.6 effective field goal percentage with Durant, 55.3 without him. Draymond Green was 52.4 with him, 46.7% without him. Every single place Kevin Durant has gone, he's made it way easier on his teammates. That's going to happen in Phoenix. Devin Booker's never actually had it easy in his career. He's now going to have it easier. And that's a really, really important part of this, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think to me, um, again, like a lot's just going to be on. And and not I, I, I think it's unfair to call Booker a ball stopper, but I do think like even – like this is going to be a big test for him because I do think we saw maybe not quite as much last year, but especially when you go back to what the title run was against the the Bucks, like when the the Bucks were just like, okay, well, we're just going to let Devin Booker score. We're going to cut everything else off yeah. and say we're going to be willing to play you one on one, make or miss shots. The reads are going to be there for you to make, and I think that I I feel that he has improved in a lot of how he reads the game in some ways. But um, I, I will be really interested to see how teams approach that moving forward because like you mentioned it's like how do you guard all three we know we're going to see a lot of switching against them just based on every way that teams have approached Chris Paul so I think they're going to be not that I think they're necessarily like defeatable just because of a matchup but I do think matchup dependency is going to be really big for them as well so let's talk about the three things that could come up right so injuries is the big one right Kevin Durant and Devin Booker haven't played in a while right? Like this is, this is worth noting on some level. It's important for them to get healthy. Like this team can't win the title unless they're healthy. Right. Mm. 
Chris Paul has obviously also had real injury concerns in terms of soft tissue injuries, especially in the back half of his career. So Chris Paul needs to stay healthy. The second thing here, and this is more where I can tag you in, I think the injuries are just like kind of a reality of this deal that we don't need to discuss. What do you feel about the lack of rim pressure that this team is going to create? I mean, the Suns over this little three-year run that they've had, they don't really put pressure on the rim. You know, they've been bottom five in free throw attempt rate. They've been bottom five in attempt rate at the rim in this time. Do we care or do we just think that like this is fine because they have like three of the most multiple like three-point and mid-range assassins in the NBA in terms of versatility? I mean, I think it matters still. Um, I don't think that it's something that I'm going to fret about necessarily. I mean, that's because as much as it's important to put pressure on the rim, I think like kind of like we hit on already, I think that's going to be really key for getting that from DeAndre Ayton um, because that has not been an MO this year frustratingly. But, um, you know, I think to me – like you, you bring even more, uh, or not even that it's more, but I think you just give different equations for a defense to have to figure out when you have this level of shooting. You know, like like yeah. we saw last year against the Pelicans. Um, and granted, Pelicans have different personnel this year, so it is a little bit different. But like, yeah, they weren't able to really put pressure on the rim against the Pelicans, but also, okay, the Pelicans had to toggle through every scheme possible because they could do nothing to stop a team that's shooting 50% yeah. plus on pull-up twos. And when you add somebody to that, that is bringing that from outside as well. And um, like, I, I think that just, that just opens up so much that I'm really interested to see. Um, yeah. The biggest thing is just going to be, you know, how do they really try and not that a, obviously the fifth guy is not going to completely, you know, uh alter everything but like i am yeah. interested to see if they still start start tory craig like he's shooting 40 percent from three this year but like no yeah teams are gonna sag off him like obviously he's very he, he can be very impactful as a cutter and be aggressive on the offensive glass which maybe that's one way that they try and counter rim pressure but i honestly wonder if they end up going to like okay what if we put you know tj warren in the starting lineup eventually or do something different just I, I am really yeah. interested to see what they do with that. And obviously they'll probably be aggressive on the buyout market, but um, yeah. yeah, like I, I think I'm, I'm not really too worried about the rim pressure, at least right now. I think again, like a, against um, teams deeper in the playoffs, I think it'll matter, but. So l- let's go to that second point. I'm glad that you brought up the fifth guy, right? Because I think that if I was them, the fifth guy would be like pure defense because otherwise you're going to have one of, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul guarding the opposing team's best perimeter player. And that's just not what you want, right? Like Torrey Craig, I think makes sense in this regard. Josh Okogie, I think makes real sense in this regard and has given the team aggressive defensive minutes at the very least so far this season. Uh, It's interesting that they went out and acquired Darius Baisley. And I think that this is where we can bring this into the fold where uh, the Thunder took on Dario Saric's contract for Darius Baisley and the Sun sent a second round pick in order to accommodate that. Baisley makes quite a bit less money than Saric does. Um, I would imagine they did that more as a tax avoidance move than anything else because I think it would save, what, what did I calculate? I think it would save them quite a bit of money. It saves them a lot of money in terms of luxury tax following the Kevin Durant deal. 
So do we think Baisley can help them? Like Baisley theoretically makes a lot of sense for this roster. It's like a bigger four man that's athletic on a team in a backcourt that like, you know, all due respect to Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, not like elite level NBA athletes by explosiveness standards in the league. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, I liked this move for them. Uh, I admittedly have, I think been lower on charge this year than, than others have been like he shot well recently. Mm-hmm. He's been better for them since he's played in the starting lineup. Um, but I just think ultimately um, he's somebody who, even when we saw not this, uh, like during the title run for them, like he was a really important player for them, but I think you saw uh, in the playoffs before he got injured, how willing teams were to short close on him. And I think that neutered a lot of his value um, because yep. he's really not somebody who's going to punish you with drives off the catch. Um, and he's not quite a good enough shooter that I think it's going to matter. So it gets hard to use his um, hit, what he brings a, as a, as a playmaker without really getting the most out of him as a popper. So that's not to totally devalue him. I think he does good things, but we've seen this play out before, and I don't think he's the same version of who that guy was. He's, he's really struggled defensively in my viewings. Yeah. Um, for me with Baisley, exactly like you mentioned, like I think the shot, I just am probably at the point where I just don't know if Darius' shot is ever going to become real. Um, Agree. I wish it would because that would really change his outlook as a player. But even with this, like I view him as – not a starter, but like he's really grown as a defender the last year or two. Like he went from two or three years ago, he was pretty lost in help and just in space in general to now where I feel pretty good about him on, on a lot of matchups. I don't think that he's an all defense defender, but like he can legitimately provide some help side rim protection. He's solid switching on most players. I don't really want to trust him with guards a ton, but um, he gives you somebody who's got length, who's mobile who can handle the ball a little bit, who has size in the front court. Um, and it just gives you some versatility that I don't think you um, – like you you get something with Dario, but I think it's different with what you're getting yeah. with Darius. And to his credit too, like he's somebody who is going to play with a lot of force um, and will yeah. be aggressive again. Like on the offensive glass, I think if that's what they're trying to embody, being a team that, you know, that fourth or fifth guy is somebody who really is going to be aggressive, you know, and trying to do things on the interior, um, then I think he makes a lot of sense in that role for them. Well, and there's there's one other sneaky part of it, too, if he does play some minutes with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's really good at hitting cutters. Like, having watched, like, a crazy amount of tape yeah. of Kevin Durant last night to write that thing I wrote, um, I watched, like, all of his assists this year, and seeing the way that he recognizes the attention that he draws to himself as a player and how, like, all of the eyes on the court basically shift to him when he has the ball – and then watching someone like Joe Harris cut back door, watching someone like Nick Claxton kind of just be in the dunker spot and find that little like crease that he can sink into from the dunker spot. I think that that's really, really important for uh, the Suns. You know, look, DeAndre Ayton can be that guy, certainly. But having another one like Darius Baisley that can actually get a little bit more downhill, maybe even as a cutter, could be interesting at the very least. He's definitely a flyer. He's literally never played a basketball game in the NBA that matters. Like, hey, he played, <laughs> played Thunder 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 Rockets first round. He uh, he played 18 minutes per game in that seven game series. Never forget. Okay. Um, I forgot. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I will admit. I forgot that he played in a game. Bubble Bays. Yeah. Bubble Bays. We'll go with it. Um, but regardless, this is a different beast than that because now they're contending and. They're going to need something like this, be it on the buyout market, be it Tory Craig, be it Josh Okogie. Um, I like what Jock Lawndale's done for the most part this year. 
Damian Lee, it feels like, has never missed a shot this season. Like, every time I watch the Suns, I feel like he's, like, five for five from three. Mm-hmm. Um, the final issue here, depth is it, right? Like, I- I'm concerned about the depth, right? Like, they-, they need to figure out what they can do in terms of accentuating this bench, especially defensively. Like, all of the guys that we just talked about, we like Darius Baisley defensively. I agree with you. We don't know what he's going to be in the playoffs. I don't know if I trust Jock Lawndale in the playoffs yet. Damian Lee has shown certain issues in the playoffs in terms of like potential on defense. Can Josh Akogi and Tory Craig really kind of carry the versatility load? Can Darius Baisley add to that? Can they find a buyout option? Right? Like it's a real, it's a real question to me. Like I, I was kind of wondering for them, could they move Sarich for like Josh Richardson? Maybe like, I think that would have been an interesting idea for them, but Richardson was making probably a little bit too much money. Um, and then the Spurs got a second round pick to take on that Devonte Graham deal. Or could they have, honestly, like given the fact that the Spurs took on that Devonte Graham deal for Josh Richardson, I wonder if the Suns ever called them about taking on the Landry Shamit deal with a second round pick for Josh Richardson. Because the Shamit deal is a little bit less than Devontae's and is like expiring next year if you want it to expire next year. It's a strange structure. So that that I think would have been actually a really interesting deal for them. Yeah, um, I was – I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but I was a little bit surprised that the Spurs weren't more aggressive and maybe trying to uh, – to, We'll, we'll to, get to that yeah. kind of at the end because that's – that is John Hollinger yeah. and I have been exchanging messages for like the last month trying to figure out how how the Spurs are going to spend this money they have. And the fact that they didn't is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you want to move to the so you, you think the net you think that uh, the Suns are like the second best team in the West right now, basically after this? Yeah, I would still have the Nuggets over them just because we, we know what the Nuggets are playing like right now. And I, I need to see yeah. things play out with um, Phoenix. Like I, I, I'm comfortable putting them up, up high. But yeah, I want to I want to see for sure. OK, so let's move to the Nets side. I agree with what you said earlier. I think the Nets did as well as they possibly could have in a situation like this Uh, to get a first round pick for Kyrie Irving, as well as like multiple pieces that now realistically they can probably move for additional value down the road. Like Dorian Finney Smith is going to be worth a first round pick for them in the summer for sure. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie could be worth like real value for them. I think on that deal, he's had a pretty okay year for the most part. Uh, He's a good player, six foot six, you know, lead guard wing kind of combo player has real offensive value. On top of that, they get Mikhail Bridges and they get Cam Johnson. And those are two guys that like are worth building around or in Mikhail's case. I mean, I would imagine you can move him for multiple first round picks tomorrow. Like they could have done that today. I would have thought, right? Yeah. um, I'm really interested to see what they do. Just because, like, on one hand, yes, they they were able to um, kind of recoup some of their 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 draft assets a little bit, um, but they're just in kind of an odd spot, you know. Uh, which, like, yeah. no shit, they just traded their entire <laughs> entire All big fast. threes gone after a year. Um, yeah. So, of course, they're going to look different. But um, 
Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned, like they don't really have a clear cut, like true prospect. Um, like obviously, I, I like you mentioned. I think Mikhail is very exciting, somebody that you want to be excited about moving forward. Nick Claxton, I'm really interested on in what this means for him. Like, yeah, I think some people are, think that there's like some other gear that's going to unlock right now, and I am a little bit like questioning what that's going to mean necessarily. Like, he really looked good and benefited playing off of Kyrie and KD, and not that I think that his value is just going to tank, but I, I, I am just I'm interested to see how that plays out for him and what it looks like. Yeah. Um, well, like the, the Nets now have two guys that reasonably, I think, would have made all defense this year, or at least like yeah. had a real shot to make all defense and Nick Claxton and Mikel Bridges, which, you know, plus Dorian Finney-Smith finished seventh among forwards last year in all defense voting. Uh, they have real like defenders that will play hard and will make them miserable to play against right now. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I think I, I'm just excited to watch this team because it's one of those teams where you're like, you uh, kind of like the Jazz early this season. Like you uh, just kind of throw a little bit of um, like like alcohol on something, light it on fire, see what happens. And uh, that's kind of what we're getting in Brooklyn, which is uh, that's enticing to me. Like I always enjoy seeing what that looks like because you have a ton of guys who are going to be in different roles doing different things. Um, so, yeah, I'm very interested to see what that looks like. So they now have Spencer Dinwiddie. They have Mikael Bridges. They have Dorian Finney-Smith. I would imagine those – three or your starters around Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons. Uh, if Ben Simmons is ever going to be anything in the NBA again, like we thought he could be, this is his chance. Like th- this is his real opportunity because they, Spencer is a good ball handler. He's a good creator. He's a good facilitator. He's a good scorer. He needs someone next to him to be able to handle the ball handling load on some level. This is certainly, certainly Ben Simmons' chance. If this ends with Ben Simmons coming off the bench because they want to start Cam Johnson and Cam Johnson comes back from his knee injury, I would not be surprised at all. If Ben Simmons decides this is my team now and like tries to be aggressive for the first week and a half here, I don't think that would surprise me either. Would it surprise you? Unfortunately, yeah. I think it would kind of surprise me right now. Um I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that it happens. I would love to see that happen, but uh, just based on what this um, the last couple of years have been, I'm a little bit skeptical that it will yeah. happen. I really want it to. Like, I don't hold the same malice in my heart that I think some people do for for Ben. Um, oh man, you, you should you should see it over here, Mark. Oh, I'm like, sure it's, it's awful. I don't want to. It's rough. Yeah. A million reasons for me to not want to live in Australia. That's one of them. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that and like you know any kind of bug snake yeah that's that's enough for me to hate but yeah I, have i told you about the spider i found in my garage yet do i want to hear about it that's we'll, we'll nice do story time at the end of the okay. episode <laughs> good i'll I, I do want to hear about it so i can again remind myself i'm never moving there <laughs> yeah okay uh do you think this team can this team will probably make the play in just because they banked enough wins right mm-hmm. like it feels likely that it's going to it's going to be hard for them to get below that level, given how hard they defend, given uh, just how many wins they've already banked. I mean, do we think this team can be like threatening at all? It, it just feels like it's going to be way too hard for them to score in an offense first league now in the NBA, right? 
Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that they're going to be threatening, um, but I do think they're going to be kind of like you mentioned, like they're going to be scrappy still. Like this is like, I mean, it's like that the Nets team that went like what, like 44 and 38 and was kind of funky in the first round. I I think yeah. that's them. That's probably where I'd be at on them. Um, and I, I, obviously, of course, ironically, Spencer didn't what he was on that team. Um, so, you know, the abundance uh, of of catharsis in that. But um yeah, I I think, again, like part of – and this is just like another stray thought that I had, but it's one of the things that keeps coming back to me. Like it's hard to imagine being Jock Vaughn in this situation either because like yeah, two years ago gets pa- – or I guess it's three years ago. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like gets passed over for the Nets job. Yeah. Um, has always just – by any account that I've heard, he's awesome dude, really good coach. Um. <laughs> Gets the job finally this year. They have the best month in franchise history. And now he's kind of just back. Oh, all right. Well, you have a rebuilding team again. And it's I like, know, right. uh, that's tough, man. I just, again, this, uh, it's a, I hate saying it's a business. Um, cause I don't really love what all, that always tends to imply, but like, it's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, look, look it, it kind of is. It's a reality, though. It is a business. Yeah. Um, there, there's just not really another way to say it. And, you know, again, like a guy that we didn't even mention here defensively is Royce O'Neal, right? Like Royce has been pretty useful this season for the Brooklyn Nets. I, I'm surprised. Honestly, like I'm a little bit surprised that the Nets didn't look to move one of, at the very least, Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal, let alone like well, explore the market for Mikael Bridges. It's like, funny too, because didn't it get released that DFS was like included in the deal because Kevin Durant really wanted to play with him? So did, did that get released? I believe it got released. I, I kind of was, I don't know, like I, I kind of sneaky got told that that was true, that like Kevin likes what Dorian Finney-Smith brings to the table. But yeah, I mean, like it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where this Nets team goes now. Like if you're, if you are the Nets and the Houston Rockets would have offered you Eric Gordon and multiple first round picks for Mikhail Bridges, would you have done that? Probably not. Um, what if they really... offered you the ability to get back one, your 2024 first round pick, which they own because of the James Harden deal? I'm not sure. Team, like, I, I think because like for me, like, I, I really like Mikhail. Like, I think Mikhail's really good. Um, like, obviously, getting back a 2024 pick would be interesting. I haven't done a lot of legwork in what the 2024 draft is going to be, but um, yeah. I think I would be more in on just keeping Mikhail. He's still pretty young. Like, he's his new deal just started too. So, yeah, um, I would be, yeah, I would definitely keep him. Yeah, like if, if I was Houston, I would have offered. 2024 first round pick 2025 pick swap like the nets 2024 first round pick back to them 2025 Mm -hmm. pick swap back to brooklyn and then i don't know something else some other first round pick of value probably in order to get mikhail because like the thing that houston needs the thing we've been begging houston for is defensive infrastructure right like that, that Mikhail is instant defensive infrastructure and floor spacing for yeah. a young core that desperately needs it. Um, you know, having said that, if you're Houston, like 
look, I probably do that, but like Mikael Bridges, is he worth what could potentially be, I guess, the top five pick in the 2024 NBA draft? I don't know. I don't really like that draft class, so maybe. But, uh, you know, do, do you give up that upside? I don't know. Uh, they're hitting did, a point but... where I think they need to. Um, but, yeah. yeah, it's – I agree. Um, yeah. No, it's it's a really interesting dynamic to look at. Okay. Let's um, let's finish with this on the Nets real quick. Worse than – just like say agree or disagree. Worse than Boston, worse than Milwaukee, worse than Philadelphia, worse than Cleveland. Like undeniably, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Worse than Miami, worse than the Knicks, right? Yeah. Worse than Atlanta. I, the T, TBD, man. I have thoughts on what Atlanta <laughs> did today too. Um, and yeah. they've just been kind – of, I mean, they've been a little bit better recently, but I still just like – I have very minimal faith in what that team is right now. Yeah. Um, I think that ultimately Atlanta probably beats them in a playoff series. But I think for the regular season, yeah. if they finished above Atlanta, I wouldn't be super shocked. After the Acapurto deal, worse than Toronto? See, that one I really need to see because I have a lot of thoughts on the on the, on the Pertle move as well. But, like, yeah. I really want to see how it plays out because that one's, like, I can envision some stuff, but I want to, I, yeah. I really want to see how they click or if they do click. Uh, Chicago is, you know, something like six games behind them. Chicago is the one. I, I think Chicago would beat them in a playoff series right now, yeah. personally. Like, I think that DeMar and Zach would figure it out, but I think it'd be like a miserable series that would be miserable to watch because, you know, they can throw so many different bodies at Chicago and then, you know, they can't really score on Chicago's defense on the other end. Like, it would yeah. be kind of rough. Um, but, like, Brooklyn, I think, is somewhere in that, like, 9 to 13 range right now. And... Indiana's getting better with when Tyrese Halliburton like you know gets back to full strength at the very least. Uh, Orlando is certainly rising within the Eastern Conference, and Detroit. You know, I, I think they hope to rise. We'll see whether or not that ends up being the case. We'll talk about that momentarily. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like Brooklyn is in a difficult spot unless they make a move for like an actual player realistically moving like an actual like offensive lead creator unless Ben Simmons makes this turn or Spencer Dinwiddie goes supernova here uh moving forward they they need offense it's an offense first league we need to be realistic about that yeah no for sure I think I uh again like what their summer looks like is going to be really interesting for me um yeah because they have a lot that they can do in the summer for sure and I think that they need to um well they have motivation to because As we said, Houston owns all of their 2023 through 2020, would be 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, and 2027 NBA drafts. They own them all. So, you know, the good news is that they now own the Suns NBA drafts, but that team looks good for the near future. So yeah. We'll see what it looks like. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be back and we're going to dive into the rest of the Lakers moves and the rest of everything else that's happened we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in june i need to tell you about securing your internet connection with nordvpn what is a vpn it's a virtual private network a vpn reroutes your traffic 
through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Okay, Mark. I've talked a bit about the D'Angelo Russell, the Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley deal already for Russell Westbrook. I think it was the right move for them. The more I've thought about it since then, the more I even think it was the right move for them. The Lakers today also went out and moved Thomas Bryant for Devon Reed and three second round picks. So they basically get back the costs that they spent to acquire Rui Achimura. Uh, they moved Patrick Beverly for Mo Bamba as well. Uh, I believe that they also sent a second round pick to Orlando to be able to do that. All told, they acquire Mo Bamba, Rui Achimura, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and Davon Reed, as well as I think ended up plus two second round picks minus one first round pick. Overall, this is definitely a better Lakers team now, right? Oh, definitely. I think without question, yeah. this team is much better. So what are your thoughts? I'll, I'll just give you the floor very briefly. I don't know that I need to talk about it a ton more. What were your thoughts on the D'Angelo Russell for Russell Westbrook along with Mike Conley maneuver. Frankly, I was kind of surprised uh, that the Lakers were given this option. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if I would have like for for Utah. I do think some people were maybe 
uh, expecting probably more back for for Vanderbilt and Beasley than than should have been. Like I don't think that either guy was going to net a first round pick on their own, um, based on like any reporting that had been released. Um, mm-hmm. But just from the Lakers front, like I think part of what's interesting, like not that I think D'Lo was like guaranteed to work in Minnesota, but he'd really started to to find something over the last month or two, um, moving off the ball more. He's found his shot in a way that had, like we've talked about this. He, he found a shot in a way that just hasn't been there since that all-star season in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and I think that's huge. Like playing alongside LeBron, like again, a guy who I think combo guards are meant to thrive off LeBron James. Um, yep. Like you have guys who can shoot, who can really get things going. Uh, it, like, yes, they can bring the ball up, but okay. Then they can move off the ball. And I think with what D'Lo was finding over this last, last month, that excites me about what that can look like. Um, with the Lakers. Well, let's let's stop there because I think that's a really really important point. Uh, Russell's best years and best moments in the NBA have come when he shares the load as an initiator, right? Mm-hmm. His 2019 season where he made the All Star game that came sharing the offensive initiation load with Spencer Dinwiddie, right? As we've talked about on the show and as you brought up, you know, at length when we broke down the Timberwolves two weeks ago, I guess that was. Um, the Timberwolves have really used Kyle Anderson to initiate a lot of their actions over the course of the last month. Plus Anthony Edwards is taking on uh, a more substantial part of the load, which has freed up D'Angelo Russell to just be able to go play. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when D'Angelo can just go play and has freedom and like, doesn't have to worry about initiating and like making plays for everyone. That's where his creativity, I think really thrives. Like he's a really creative passer in those moments. It's more when like, he has to figure out, okay, I have to like set the table for this guy. I have to get this guy the stuff in the right spots. Like with LeBron, he doesn't have to worry about any of that. He can just go play. And I think that's really smart. Yeah. No, I like that that a lot for him as a fit move forward. Like obviously the defensive issues are going to exist, but um Oh, we're gonna talk I, about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from an offensive standpoint, I really like that. And they needed the juice just to get better with that. Um as for the Jazz fit too, like I really liked trading for Vando and Beasley together um, because they have yeah. obviously synergy from playing in Utah, but also playing in in Minnesota with their two man game. Um, so I think in in some ways, like you automatically bring that in, um, and I like that. I think Vando gives them a lot of interesting stuff that he can do defensively, primarily you know guarding guys on the wall. Um, yeah. I think part of, and this is just my assumption, but I think part of trading Thomas Bryant was a, because they weren't going to be able to resign him this summer uh, or weren't super interested in resigning him just for what the dollar might end up costing. But mainly I think you open up more minutes for Jared Vanderbilt to play. And I think the idea too, like this to me is a lot about getting them to become much more of a defensive focused team that can get out in transition. We'll also of course, shoring some things up in the half court. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's perfect for what Vano brings, even when he's yeah. playing along, like, I think lineups with him and AD together, that's going to be wonky at times. Um, but I think you just open up some more stuff to actually make that more possible. So I like that. Um, I like adding all three guys. Um, again, Malik Beasley is like a system breaking bad defender at times, but having AD <laughs> and Jared Vanderbilt on there together helps. Um, so yeah, so, so I, I have I have numbers on that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so M- Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, uh, they played together in the 2021 and 2022 NBA seasons. 
They played more than 1,200 minutes together for the Minnesota Timberwolves. What do you think Minnesota's defensive rating was when they played together in those 1,200 minutes? I'm sure it was awful. I have no idea on a guess, but I'm sure it was awful. 116.1 per play-by-play stats, which would have been third worst in 2021 and second worst uh, in 2022. Sounds about right. (laughs) It, it was really, really bad. Like there's a lot of work to be done covering up for that. If they're going to play those two together in the starting lineup, uh, like you, you can't play those two and Rui in the starting lineup, which is like some of the speculation I've seen. Uh, th- that is a nightmare waiting to happen. And Darvin Ham has not been good enough managing their rotations. And, and that's another thing we're going to talk about momentarily here. Yeah, I'm interested to see if they stop starting Rui because I would personally, I would start Vanderbilt over Rui. I know that, some people might disagree with that. Like, yes, you can theoretically get Rui shooting, but I I just think Vando is a way better player right now. Um, I'll, again, close. I'll be interested to see what they do. But, um, yeah, they have – I think to me it's like they have a lot more options. I still don't think that I would consider them a title contender. Um, like, I think that they're a playoff team now, which is an upgrade yep. um, and gives them a, a puncher's chance. But, um yeah, I'm very uh, I'm I'm interested to see how it plays out, but still pretty skeptical skeptical about what this uh, what this is going to look like. Yeah, so I agree with you that I don't think they're really a contender for a title right now, but I'll, I'll get into the reason why after we kind of talk a little bit more about like the fit, right? Like the thing this did more than anything is give them shooters. Yeah, like having someone like D'Angelo Russell, who's like a 38, 39 percent three point shooter, is enormous for them. Having Malik Beasley, who can be a 38, 39% three-point shooter, is enormous for them. They desperately needed the floor spacing. On top of it today, they add Mo Bamba, who teams don't really guard out there. Like, if Mo Bamba's going to shoot, teams are pretty good with that. Like, they think that's a good result. It's better, for instance, for Mo Bamba to shoot than LeBron James or Anthony Davis get a shot, right? So he does make 38 to 39% of his threes over the last two years, though even if he doesn't get guarded out there. So it's another potentially interesting floor spacing option. Uh, You know, Rui's not really a shooter, obviously, and Jared Vanderbilt's certainly not a shooter. But what Vanderbilt does do, I'm glad you brought up the idea of, like, being a chess piece defensively. They're going to need that. They're going to need to play him on the ball defensively, I think, quite a bit now. I actually did not like the Mo Bamba for Patrick Beverly move. I think it saved them just like an insane amount of money, if I remember correctly. Like, it saved them a lot of money against the luxury tax. But this team does not have any real great, like, guys in their rotation that are point-of-attack defenders. Like, Max Christie's done a pretty okay job of it this year, but he's just not going to play, I don't think. Like, Darvin Ham's not going to play him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis Schroeder can be aggressive and active, I guess, But Dennis isn't good at it, I would say. Uh, You know, Austin Reeves, I think, is better as a team defender who is rotating around and, you know, making the right reads on that side of the court as opposed to, like, being, like, an aggressive, disruptive point-of-attack defender. Then you get to Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is one of the worst players in the NBA at, like, fighting through screens to the point where... Minnesota basically completely adjusted its defensive scheme, playing him as like a backline weak side communicator almost where he was 
you know, basically calling out coverages and staying on like the opposing team's worst offensive player in order to hide him, essentially. Anytime he has to get through screens, it does not go well. Yeah. He's going to kind of have to do that now, I feel like, don't you? Yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. Because, um, I, I mean, to to be fair, too, I don't think Pat Bev's defense has been very good this year. Um, like, granted, it's it's miles better than what you're getting from D'Angelo. But right. um, I think it's still been, like, just compared to where – even last year, I think it's been a little bit of a fall off. Um, part of that, too, has just been how much they've had to ask him to, to cover guys because they haven't anybody who can do it. So, again, like, I think that's why they're really going to need to get the most out of Vanderbilt because I don't know yep. who else is doing it for them necessarily. Yeah. Um, Vanderbilt's yeah. legit going to have to guard like opposing like lead initiators. It feels like a lot of the time for them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, it's going to be interesting for them. Yeah. Like, I, ironically, Stafford, what's kind of fun about that is that uh, at least for me, Vando's like breakout game for me. Um, and it was bef- the year before the Wolves made the playoffs. It was the year that they hired Chris Finch mid season. I think it was before he got hired. Yeah. Bando had a game where he guarded LeBron, I think, almost the entire game. <laughs> and that was during the bubble year, um, before the bubble happened, obviously. Um, and that was, like, the first game where I was like, okay, I think Bando's going to be legit. Um, yeah. And, the, the one that yeah. confirmed it for me last year was they, like – it was, like, in January, Anthony Simons was, like, hammering them. And Finch just, like, told Jared Vanderbilt, guard Anthony Simons 70 feet. And annoy the shit out of him. And he did. And he just like completely changed the complexion of the game. Uh, Eric Stafford in the YouTube comments says, Christy or Dennis was just as effective as Pat Bev at the point of attack. Yeah, but Christy's not going to play is, is the problem. I, I don't disagree. Christy's just not going to play. Like, I, I don't see a world where Darvin Ham plays him. And we'll talk about why my main concern with this Lakers team moving forward is Darvin Ham. But it, it, I don't disagree necessarily that Dennis was just as good he's just not he's not effective either and I guess like Pat Bev wasn't that effective but he does at least like really fight and scratch in a way that Dennis doesn't necessarily always fight and scratch like I can trust um I can trust him to like really battle it feels like to fight through screens at like a real level well let me let me mention here the Darvin Ham part of this I think he's been really bad this year I talked about that, I feel like, on the last episode, and I've talked about it at length, I feel like. Darvin Ham and his lineup construction has been one of the biggest hindrances to the Lakers this season. The lineups that he was playing, it's almost impossible to play this small in today's NBA. Like, I was kind of wondering at first why they didn't just take Mike Conley instead of D'Angelo Russell. The more I thought about it, the more I was sold on Russell for them. I think it was probably the right call for a number of reasons. But the Lakers this season have played over half of their minutes with at least two players that are six foot three or shorter. They've played 800 minutes with two players six foot one or shorter on the court. And they've even played 230 minutes with three players that are six foot three or shorter on the court. That is just like, it's hard to do that. And they have options. Like you can play Austin Reeves more. You can play Lonnie Walker more. Not to say Lonnie Walker is like much bigger, but he's at least six foot four stronger and like has real length at the very least. Like, I don't understand what Darvin Ham is doing 
first and foremost. I don't think he's done a very good job in terms of managing his rotations. I really wonder if trading Patrick Beverly as much as anything was just taking a club out of the bag for Darvin Ham to not play two six foot one guys, two lead initiators, quote unquote, at once. Uh, their strategy this year has been horrendous. Their uh, rotational uh, like adjustments throughout the season has been hor- like have been horrendous. That he is the biggest hindrance to this Lakers team being a contender right now. We'll see if that changes. Maybe it's a little bit easier for him now that he has real size that he can go to with Russell, with Beasley, with X, Y, and Z, Jared Vanderbilt, Mobamba, et cetera, right? I haven't seen enough this year, though, to make me think otherwise. Yeah, maybe I'm being too forgiving, but um, like I, I have some of the same concerns, but I just think part of it's just been I'm, I'm probably less uh high on what the roster is um in terms of the actual versatility throughout it like yeah troy brown's six six but the shots like he's still not really getting guarded like a shooter a lot of a lot of it just feels theoretical to me in what the roster actually is um or what it was but like he, he's, he's not gonna play austin reeves like that's my biggest worry like he has all these like veteran guards and wings now right he's just like not gonna i feel like he's not gonna play austin reeves and I'm going to lose my mind because Reeves is like one of the only guys on their court that is good on both ends of the floor and can be reliable, like doing two things, offense and defense at once. Yeah. Yeah. The him not playing has been kind of weird. I haven't really understood that. Um, it, I mean, I, I do think it's going to be better. Um, again, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I'm not, I, I definitely don't have quite the same worry level. Yeah. Um, the last thing about this deal, the reason that this deal, I think, ultimately makes a lot of sense. And the reason that this this number and this uh, overall picture of acquisitions makes sense is that they have so much flexibility now in the summer. They're going to have like actual cap space if they want it. They're going to be able to get to max cap space pretty easily now, uh, or at least like very, very close to max cap space. Uh, if they want that moving forward mm-hmm. or because they have all of these guys that have either high cap holds or they have options on deals, basically like Malik Beasley has a $14.5 million team option. I believe Mo Bamba, I think has a non-guaranteed year at like $10 million. They also have the flexibility to act as an over the cap team this summer which I think allows them to be able to have real a real chance to like maybe build around this core if they decide they want to build around this core or move on if they want to and start anew entirely. And if they build around this core and act as an over-the-cap team, they have like $60 million or so to play with while still also having access to the full mid-level exception. Like if you can get D'Angelo Russell, you know, Malik Beasley, Austin Reeves, and one of Mo Bamba or Rui Achimura under contract for $60 million. Your core is actually pretty set then moving forward. Then you can move, at least if this goes well, let's say your core would be set. And then you can also add using the full mid-level. So it's at least the long-term planning here by the Lakers front office is the most foresight that I've seen from the Lakers front office in a while. And that is worth commending i think at the very least yeah they're certainly trying to have foresight so i can appreciate that 
That's fucking savage. I love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I just like I just, I'm not trying to be unfair. I just like I the we'll we'll see what happens in free agency. I still just yeah. like this whole year. Like, congrats on having some things work out now. But I think you could have seen this not working before the year started. Um, so it's yeah. been a little bit of like a congrats on digging out of your own shithole. Um, you're yeah. back on level playing field. Okay, let's move on from the Lakers. It's time to go full Windhorst. What is going on in Toronto, Mark Schindler? What is going on in Toronto? Yeah. They were rumored to break up this team for weeks and months. They didn't break up any of the team. And in fact, they bought at the deadline. They acquired Jakob Pertl for Ken Birch in a first round pick. What? is going on in Toronto. You tell me, Mark. Uh I mean, based on everything that came out today, it seems like they uh did not feel they were going to get back the value that they wanted uh in a trade for for OG or for any of their players, frankly. Um and it feels like they're just kind of putting this off till summer while also opening up the chance of okay, if we bring in somebody who is pretty good right now, pretty valuable right now, does that change up what our uh what the remainder of our season looks like and then better position us for the summer. On one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I'm just kind of tired. Um, like before even just talking about the actual deal, cause I did like the deal for them value wise, but like we're hearing these reports for reasons. It's not just agents trying to drum shit up. Like it, there's very real credence to everything that's being reported for, out of Toronto. Um, so on, on one hand, I'm like, just like, okay, I just, I would really prefer to just like see this get done with because I'm tired of hearing about it all the time. From an actual on-court perspective, like, I think I'm just so fascinated to see how this plays out because part of what has made them successful offensively of late has been moving Scotty to be their primary screener and do a ton for them yep. off the short roll and uh, put the ball in his hands by not always having him start with the ball. And I think that's been really beneficial for him. I like what Jakob can bring to their offense as a, as a as just an overall hub that they haven't had, which except with what Scotty's been doing. Um, and just well, adding ex- a, explain what makes Jakob so good. Well, Jakob's one of the player. probably five best screeners in the NBA. Yeah. Um, he's a really good DHO partner. He's really good at just opening things up in general. He's so good at positioning himself in the paint and moving with a ball handler to keep himself open. Um, to give an outlet, which is an underrated thing that the, frankly, the Raptors just don't really have. Like they don't have guys who are tall that, um, oh, that tall, I should say, guys who are like so, like who are seven feet yeah. tall that have touch that can make people worry if you leave them open out to seven or eight feet. Like it seems like a small thing, but it actually matters quite a bit. Um, yep. And then defensively, I think like his defense has been up and down in San Antonio this year, but part of that's who he's been playing with, to be fair. Um, and he's looked better since he, he took a little bit of time off from the, the ankle injury, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's been a lot better defensively since then. Um, so I think you automatically add somebody who is like a real, real rim protector. Like obviously Precious Achua is a real rim protector, but granted there's a difference between being six, nine and rim protector and being seven feet tall and a rim protector. Um, yep. so I think you add a defensive base that in some ways is going to allow them to continue to play as aggressively as they have. Um, and the defense has been the problem. I think a lot of people in my mentions and just in general, they were like, oh, well, how's the offense going? I'm like, I do have questions about the offense. 
I think, yes, like I'm interested to see how he and Scotty are able to coexist, but also you're just adding a rotation level player to a team that lacks players that can play 20 minutes per game um, outside of like the seventh man. Like there's been very clear trust issues from Nick Nurse to get the most out of his bench. And sometimes I wish that he would do more, but also I get it to a degree. Um, So I'm not too worried about that. The defense is again, like I think I'm really interested to see what, um, what that's going to look like, because I think he provides a real base there that they have frankly lacked um, yep. since they decided to go into this full wing heavy movement. Um, well, it, it, it for me on defense for them, it's like the way that they, it's like the scheme is so over aggressive while also not having that backline protector, right? Yep. Like that, that's kind of what it's always come down to for me. And now they have that, like Jakob is big. He's a physical presence inside there. He's a good rim protector with verticality. He should help them. Like, I know that the numbers in San Antonio were not very good defensively for Jakob. I'm actually not, I'm not real worried about that. Like, I think so much of that is just those guards are not very good at fighting through screens and kind of hang them out to dry way too often. And the structural integrity of that defense, especially, like, I don't even think Devin Vassell has had, like, the best year defensively for his standards while he's taken this increased role offensively. And obviously he's missed time as well uh, over the course of, what, the last month it feels like he's been out. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not worried about Jakob defensively. I think you put him around veteran players – I think he'll be fine. I think that his presence will substantially help the defense if they decide to continue down this road of playing this like wildly aggressive, hyper energetic, like disruptive turnover forcing havoc inducing team basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think my bigger question is going to, like, I like this deal in a vacuum. I really don't think that they gave up that much. The, the second-round picks, like, we can talk about second-round picks again just in general, but, like, I'm not worried. Whatever. I think this team is, like, at worst going to be hovering around the middle. So, like, I can't be bothered about the 45th overall pick. Sorry not to be crass or dismissive. Um, their own first uh, in 2024, I think, again, like, this is partially a bet on we want to be better next year. Yeah. We really believe in ourselves to be better next year. Now it actually has to happen and they have to do the things in the summer to make it happen. But I do think this makes it more feasible and more appealing for me, especially too, because it seems uh, at least it was reported today that it seems likely like they feel good about Jakob resigning there, um, which means that they're willing to pay what will ultimately probably be a decent amount for him. But I think it's disturbingly. So again, a lot, I'm just interested to see how it plays out. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up earlier, though, the idea of what does this offense look like now? I mean, their offense got somehow magically even more cluttered and messy in this deal because for as much as we like Jakob, Scotty Scotty Barnes, like essentially playing as like the screener and roller and doing everything like that, that's a better offensive player. It's a more threatening offensive player than Jakob Pertle at the very least. So like, I can't imagine or I can't imagine they're going to bench Scotty, right? Like it, they're still going to start him. They'll probably bring maybe Gary Trent or, you know, someone else off the bench, whoever, you know, you want to play at the two. And then you play like Van Vliet, Barnes, OG, Jakob Pertle and Siakam, right? I mean, that, that's just so much, it's such a lack of space on the interior for Barnes and Siakam to drive into. Uh, 
in for Fred Van Vliet to be like a perimeter player. It's going to continue to make OG essentially a three and D guy that doesn't really have a lot of chances to attack in the way that it feels like he wants to attack. Well, I do think one thing I would want to add on top of that, because I, I, I think that there's potential for that to be a problem. Um, but I think what I feel better about is that he just does things really quickly. Like there's not a, even Scotty. I think sometimes like Scotty can make quick decisions, but I think he does have a tendency, especially when, when he hasn't been the screener, like he can kind of be somebody who does want to survey a little bit more. Um, with Jakob, like, again, it's the, okay, he's going to make decisions. He's going to make them quickly. And I think even if it's not necessarily spacing, like it is part of spacing, the decision-making and, yeah. and being quick and doing things aspect. So again, it's not like a, it's not the same spacing as somebody who's a 40% three-point shooter off, off movement. But um, I do think that it, it has something. And I probably yeah. like, not again, not that he's threatening per se, but I do probably have a little bit more belief in what he is as a, um, just again, being able to be somebody who can touch the ball and make the the right make it go to the right places while opening things up for others. That I feel a little bit better about it than you do offensively. Again, it's just gonna the the Scotty and and Yaka thing is what I'm gonna want to see. Like, how does this look in closing lineups? How does it look in starting lineups? Because um, they did not trade for him. Just to, I, I would not envision him coming off. The bench. No, they. Um, they- they did not give up a 2024 first round pick for Yaka Pertle to not try and re-sign him at yeah, the very least. Exactly. Having said that, I think where this is going is I think that they're gearing up for a star trade. I think that's my take on Toronto here. I think that they want to make a move. I, I think they want to position themselves to be able to get into every offer moving forward for a star. Uh Guys, keeping OG Ananobi, for instance, I think is a really good start in that regard. We just saw Mikael Bridges be the main player, along with picks, in a deal for Kevin Durant. I would imagine that we see something along the lines of them trying to make a move for a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that that's where this, like, this roster still does not make sense. You know, we'll see what happens with Fred Van Vliet. We'll see what happens with Gary Trent. But they need more shooting, and Masai Ujiri was uh, quoted in the press conference following the trade deadline saying, I think we need to be one of those top tier three point shooting teams to win in today's NBA. I think we'll get there through additions or internal growth. I mean, I don't know how you feel about the internal growth part of that Mark, but I don't feel great about it. Uh, I mean, OG is good, but like you just spent a little bit of time canvassing the league to see if he was available and was like able to be moved. I don't know, man. I mean, this feels this feels they're tough. In a, they're in a precarious spot. Um, so I am, yeah. I think they they remain the team that I have probably the most questions about coming out of today. Um, that made moves, I should say. There are teams that didn't make moves that I was like, well, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, but yeah. Okay. Let's go now to the Josh Hart move. This will be simpler to break down. Josh Hart goes to the New York Knicks and Tom Thibodeau has a new favorite player. <laughs> yeah, that was my, my first my first tweet was uh, Tibbs is going to play in 45 minutes. Um, this, is like, <laughs> this is like the Tom Thibodeau player. And my follow-up tweet was if Taj Gibson was 6'5", he'd be Josh Hart. And um, yeah, <laughs> like I think I personally – so what's interesting to me, like I really liked this move for them. Um, yeah, like they didn't really give up all that much, in my opinion. I think obviously, again, a lot is going to go into they want they'll want to resign him. I don't know if you saw the uh Jalen Brunson's reaction to uh 
to the trade happening, which was cool. Obviously, they played together at Villanova, so you, I, yeah. I think there's incentive for 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 Josh when resign there too. I, you know, again, have to see it play out before we know for sure. But um, I think it's fascinating to me because on one hand, like I I like what he brings to this roster, even if he's not shooting the ball a ton or shooting it well. Like I think he just does things that are positive. Like he moved. He can drive the basketball. He's going to make good decisions. He's going. He's a good passer. He's going to rebound the hell out of the ball um, and be a very good defensive player, both on and off the ball. And that matters, especially for what Tibbs wants to do, because like he, you need guys who can cover ground and are going to cover ground correctly. Um, and that's Josh Hart to me. Like he's so good at making rotations timely um, and covering large amounts of distance. And that's again, like especially with the kind of defense they play, that works great. Um, so much of the offense is you have to be intuitive. You have to move without the ball. Otherwise, the offense sucks. Like, that's why things didn't work with Cam Reddish. Like, I think he tried very hard to make things work himself, but part of the issue with Cam is if he's not shooting the ball well, it's kind of like, okay, well, what are you getting? Like, he's he's yeah. not really super great as a cutter. Again, that doesn't work in the offense. It's not a great decision like, maker. Yeah, that's why Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes have looked good in the offense because they know how to move without the ball. And so I think what makes us just so – hard for me is like I like this move I just get as time continues to go on I get like less and less enthused with Tibbs as the Knicks head coach I know (laughs) they're playing well right now I know things are looking good but like I just I think that there is an extra gear that can happen if you remove some of the rigidity because like I tweeted out a lineup yesterday I was like man IQ uh, Grimes Hart insert player and Mitch Robb is like a Voltron hustle lineup. And I had a bunch of Knicks fans. Like, well, you, well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I didn't, yeah. I just, I just put insert player. Cause I was like, all right, well you have like just four guys who are like, you know, not so without, without the ball. Um, and are going to play their asses off defensively. And like, I, so I didn't even think Obi immediately as I had to follow up. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got to include Obi in that. But like more importantly, I was like, dude, I had so many fans be like, he's never going to play that line. I'm like, you're right. Like, that's part of the problem. <laughs> like, I, I like, I hope that we see it. I hope that because he believes in, in, in heart that much, he's going to play him. Um, but I think part of what I'm like, okay, well, is, is Obi Toppin playing less now? Um, is Quentin Grimes's role somehow going to decrease? Yeah. What does this mean? Um, so like I, on, on the one hand, like you add a very clear rotation player who I actually think should, I mean, might, might well start for them um and like i yeah. i think that's a good addition but like what does that mean for the rest of the stuff you know are you just enabling tips a little bit more to play to what he wants um so it's it's interesting but like again i i really liked it for them i think that so i really like this move eric weiss in the comments shout out eric just good dude just yeah um eric mentioned that he thought this was the best move of the deadline I think it's really good. It's hard for me to get past Kevin Durant. It's the best yeah, move of the deadline. Yes, yeah. But I don't disagree with the idea of this being a really good move for the Knicks because I think it gives them a lot more lineup versatility as much as anything. Like Josh Hart, I, A, is I think he's going to come off the bench. And the reason I think he's going to come off the bench is the weird thing that they actually quite need, despite the fact that they have these you know, energy players and, and guys who really get after it, they could use like rebounding and energy and like kind of toughness in that yeah. uh, in that second unit. It feels like to me a lot of the time. Not to say the second unit isn't tough, but I do think that it will be beneficial for them 
to have someone that just crashes the glass constantly. Right. Uh, yeah. And in that second unit as well, like they play Quentin Grimes with that second unit. Sometimes Emmanuel quickly obviously runs that second unit. Obi Toppin, they tend to use him as a floor spacer a lot of the time. Like they, they theoretically could have enough floor spacing in that situation to be able to accentuate Hart. Uh, additionally, he gives them real lineup versatility for if RJ Barrett doesn't have it that night. And they've been more than willing to go away from RJ Barrett recently, if you've noticed. Like mm-hmm. there have been a lot of lineups where it's Emmanuel Quickly, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes out there with Julius Randle and Mitch been a lot of lineups where they've been willing to kind of experiment and see what's going on. Hart gives them a, a little bit more size to be able to do that. I think there are going to be games. I think where Josh Hart closes, they're going to be games where they can go super small. Like they could theoretically, I don't know if I'd do this often, but in the right lineups could go something weird. Like, you know, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, and Julius Randall to close games. Right. Mm-hmm. And just see what happens. Like that's a super aggressive, energetic uh, lineup. If RJ is defending, I think that's kind of been the sneaky thing that has been a bit disappointing about the Knicks this year. Yeah, RJ's I, I don't know some shit this year for being blind. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what happened to RJ Barrett defensively. He was good the year that they made the playoffs and won like you know whatever like the equivalent of like 48 games or whatever they won in that shortened season. Yeah. He was on like my sub all defense team that year. He was really good in his role. I I was really hopeful for what the next steps would be. Um, I think part of the hope is like, he gets back to that. Um, And also I just need to amend myself. He's not going to start. Like I said that I forgot RJ existed for a second, which tells you what his season has been like, but like, um, he's still averaging 20 points. That's the funny thing. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, RJ's he's been, like, he's been better like, recently, but yeah, it's just like the, yeah. a lot of the season has been different, but um, yeah, I, I echo a lot of the same sentiments. I think just again, adding somebody who, who fits a lot of what they want and can give them like, I, I mean, he can play two through four essentially like, yes. And I know people are mentioning in the comments, like he, he has the yips right now. He needs to get rid of it. Cause like, remember last year, she like six or seven threes a game when he had uh never forget the, all the, the freedom. Josh, the Josh Hart 34% usage stretch was like, I think that was my favorite stretch of basketball last year. Um, like I need him to get not obviously not back to 32% usage, but like I really believe in him being like if he is confident and in, in the shot, that is that's a real starting level player. Like that's just a real player who does positive things, who has to be guarded. And I, so I, I think betting on this is fine. Cause I, again, like mentioning the comments, like somebody said, is he really worth the first round pick? I think for where the Knicks are at right now, what they're trying to do. Yes. With that pick likely being yeah. like in the late twenties, you hope that you hit and get a guy like Josh Hart in the late well, 20s. Y- yeah. So like, so like that pick will probably be, it's the New York pick. Uh, it's lottery protected and then it converts to four seconds apparently. And let's assume the Knicks make the playoffs. I think we should assume the Knicks make the playoffs. Yeah. Let's say it's around like 2022, something like that. This draft class, let's say it's around 2022, like, or it's around 22 or so, right? Like, I'm fine with trading out of the 22nd pick, especially too. Like, I am too. It's worth 22. I think this is also the, and part of what makes this difficult, I think part of this is the front office realizing if we draft somebody with the 22nd pick, is Tibbs going to play them? Like, is Tibbs going to make them a meaningful part of the rotation? Do we believe in them in being able to develop under Tom Thibodeau? Yep. I think that's, again, that's part of the problem. 
but that's part of the trade-off and why you make this trade, I think. Yep. And look, like the Nets just got worse, right? Like the Knicks theoretically are the next team up in terms of if the Nets fall out of the top six, which I think that they're positioned to do, frankly, as we talked about earlier. I feel pretty good about the Knicks being that next team up. They're four games ahead of Toronto, three games ahead of Chicago, two and a half games ahead of the Hawks. That's Those are like fairly large numbers at this size of the year. Not enormous numbers, but fairly large numbers. And Josh Hart's going to help them do that. Like he's going to help them make the playoffs. Super smart player. I, I you know, I, 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 I got to say too, especially with Miami not doing anything like which that love. That's a whole other thing. Don't, don't get me started on that. I was very annoyed that Miami did nothing at this deadline. Um, but yeah, like I think I, I'm not going to say that they can come out and get home court. Like something would really have to go wrong for one of the top four teams. But I think it's yeah. very realistic that this team could end up with the five seed. And when you look at that, like they have played Cleveland well this year. Yeah. So I think when you look at that, that's that's enticing for them. And I'm not saying that I would pick them to beat Cleveland, but I don't know if I'm picking Cleveland to beat them either because Cleveland has really struggled with what the Knicks can do when they're playing at their best. Um, yep. So I would be, yeah, I, I again, I'm, I've just enjoyed being able to enjoy the Knicks again this year. I think it's my biggest thing because uh, losing that last year like took a small piece of my soul because the, like you <laughs> mentioned, the 2021 Knicks were just were awesome. It was tough. It was tough last year. Okay, let's go to this weird conglomeration of Golden State Warriors moves because the Warriors, I think, are just interesting. Uh, In a three-team trade, the Warriors traded James Wiseman. They received four second-round picks, and I think they got Kevin Knox, right? Yeah. Uh, Atlanta gets Sadiq Bey from Detroit. Golden State gets Kevin Knox from... Uh, from Atlanta? No, Detroit. He plays for Detroit now. Um, I don't know what Atlanta is sending out in that deal to get Sadiq Bay. They I guess the four seconds, seconds, right? Yeah, five I seconds. think it was five. Yeah, five, and then they sent okay. uh, Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky to Houston. Yeah, that was just like a cap dump move, though, right? Yeah. Um, Golden State then moved these i think four second round picks i don't know if it was those four second round picks or if it was just the four second round picks along with kevin knox so many second round picks that just went flying today yeah i know right um but they moved all of those picks along with kevin knox to portland in order to reacquire gary payton the end result here is they basically will save something like 40 million dollars in luxury tax payments over the next two years replacing wiseman for payton something like you know Five million in terms of salary, mm-hmm. and on top of it, they get Gary Payton the second, who's a much better fit as we saw last year throughout the second half of the season into the playoffs before he broke his elbow, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, overall, I think this is really good business by Golden State, and essentially it's Wiseman for Payton Jr. or Gary Payton the second, and Gary Payton the second is a killer defender. He really fits their scheme well. He gives them something that they've lacked in terms of perimeter defense. He takes less pre- he pre- makes it so that Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins have less pressure on them to guard on ball players for long swaths of time. And more than anything, like this is a front office that in the past has struggled to admit when, when they've got something wrong. Uh, they admitted they got the James Wiseman thing wrong. 
they save a bunch of money and they get a better player. This feels like a really, really, really smart move by Golden State. Yeah, I'm probably not as willing to give them as much credence for it. Um, like I think in the moment, smart move, but also I think part of what is frustrating is how long they sat on making this happen. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I like, of course, again, like I can't complain about a team that won a, won a title and is trying to to win one again. I'm probably, you know, again, you and I are probably both less optimistic on that happening this year, just based on what has been Steph's out right now for um, at least past the all-star break. Um but in terms of bringing in somebody who fits everything they do, like, yeah, I have no qualms about bringing him in. Um, can I talk about the other aspects of this trade? Because this was like, this was wild, man. I think this was the one trade that just made me go like, I don't really, like, I got it from the from the Golden State perspective. From the other perspectives, not so much. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Well, let, let's talk about the Detroit side because. I am so confused why they value James Wiseman. Is it like the idea that they maybe just want like a rim runner 48 minutes a night? Yeah. So that's, that's where I got confused too. Like worth noting, they have, they have Marvin Bagley still. They just resigned him to a new deal before this year. Um, Isaiah Stewart is still there. And as some Detroit fans pointed out to me, this is not me trying to call them out, but like they pointed out like, well, you know, obviously Bagley's a four. I agree. Like he's been playing at the four this year when he's healthy. Um, And Isaiah Stewart, they've been experimenting with it the four. My issue is, okay, I don't like, I think that Isaiah Stewart. I don't think they're fours. Well, yeah. I mean, more importantly, (laughs) defenses don't think that they're fours. They don't act like they're fours. They don't treat them like fours. They can't really defend fours. It's been a problem. Like I think Stu does some things that I'm, I'm more interested in Stu probably than than Bagley right now, just on what it's looked like. Like Bagley can Or really, Wiseman. Well, I'm more interested in I don't I'm trying to be careful in <laughs> how I phrase this. Uh I think that there is still room for Wiseman to really grow. I just don't see it here. Like I'm very confused by why they made this move when Jalen Duran frankly to me, Jalen Duran was a better prospect than James Wiseman. Jalen Duran has done more in the NBA for me to be excited about his future than what James Wiseman has done. And that's not to be unfair to James. It's just telling it blank how it's been. Um, so to me, I am confused as to why they made this move. In terms of a pure talent play, I think sure. But also, I just don't really see it. Like, I don't see it working. I'm very interested to see what they try and do with it to try and make it work. Maybe they're really aggressive in getting him G League reps, but – it's not even needing G League reps for him now. Like it's he needs to play at the NBA level. This is a team that wants to be better next year. Like everything that they've talked about is being better next year. It's part of the reason they kept Bojan Bogdanovic. I just like it's it's a little bit vexing to me. Unless well, they, well, I guess it's if they really believe Isaiah Stewart is going to become a high volume three point shooter that can do some of the things where he's flashed the handle and whatnot. Sure, but then you talk about the overall. Um, Outside Duran, and again, Duran is still working out some of the playmaking and feel aspects in the front court. And pick have, and roll defense, by the way. Like he, Jalen yeah, Duran has not been good in pick and roll defense this year. I think part of that too. Like need, their overall, yeah, it's the the guard placement. Oof, but this is what I wanted to get into. I'm glad yeah. that you just gave me that segue, Mark. Their pick and roll defense this year has been absolutely dreadful. What is the thing that James Wiseman needs most right now in order to contribute at an NBA level? What is the thing that he needs? 
I would argue it's competent reps in ball screens, getting that experience with guards that like fight over the top and allow him to try and figure out his positioning. He's dreadful from a positioning perspective in ball screens. Uh, He just doesn't really know where to be yet. He gets caught in no man's land way too often in that drop. Detroit's infrastructure defensively this year for anybody that's watched a lot of Pistons basketball, it's been a disaster. Like it's been really, really bad. This isn't even a fit to get the most out of James Wiseman from that perspective, I think. Yeah. um... It's kind of like knowing your own personnel, right? Knowing your own scout to accentuate and make guys the best they can be, right? Yeah. No, exactly. Um, And I think on one hand, like I like the idea of, you know, at least for him, I like what this could mean for uh, uh, like getting to play alongside a healthy Kate, I think that's interesting for Wiseman in, in, you know, trying to figure some some things out, like playing alongside a guy who's that good with pacing and, and, and as a playmaker is going to be beneficial to you. But again, I think when you're talking about what this means for Cade, what this means for Jaden Ivey, I, I, like he's not a good screener right now. The short roll playmaking is a work. He's improved a little bit this year, but I think that's more so speaking on what it was in prior years than what it's at now. Um, Again, like if they really believe in who he can be moving forward, okay, but I need to see it. Like I really need to see it play out before I feel good about what this deal is. And it's not even that it's they gave up a ton, but it's just in terms of like, okay, putting themselves in a position where they're on the hook with this. Like I am, I'm interested to, to see how they try and make it work out. Um, well, it's just like the the overall vision, right? Like they want to be better next year, but then they're going out and acquiring like a pure project center that isn't going to help them next year win games. Like all due respect to James Wiseman, you're right. He still has a real chance, but like he's not going to take such an enormous leap defensively over the course of the next 12 months or eight months realistically mm-hmm. to where he's going to be like a genuine impact player. I don't think at the very least. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind the bet in theory. I mind the team that made the bet. Yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think it makes any sense for them. And if I was Jalen Duran, I'd be like, wait, what? I've been killing it. Why are you going out and getting him? Like, I, I, I've been better than him. Like, I proved I was better than him at Memphis. I proved I've been better than him in the NBA. And you're going out and acquiring him? Like, what's the deal here? Yeah. Yeah, it would be uh that one would be very hard to um <laughs> to try and explain. I'd imagine they talk to him about it. Um, but I'm hopeful to to see something change up because I, I am really hopeful for him because I have hated what most of the discourse is. Um around Wiseman, you mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. Like if you talk to anyone around the league, like James Wiseman is like a super nice guy, like a really good dude. And it's been that way since he was young. Like it's just that you know, hasn't, hasn't worked in yeah. any way. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what that is smart. Look, you can make the case that golden state should have done all this in the off season. I get it. Like, but at the end of the day, they got here and all that happened in the off season is a sunk cost at this point. So you might as well just kind of make the moves now. Can I talk about Atlanta for a quick second now? Yeah, please. Cause the Sadiq Bay thing is interesting. I hated it for them, for being completely honest. Interesting. Okay. Like, not even Let's just do it. hate is wrong. Like, I think Sadiq is 
me and mutual friend Kai Stunk, we were talking about Sadiq the other day. And like, I think that he's been fine. Um, the defense has been pretty rough this year. Again, part of that is Detroit as a whole, but like he's in a really weird spot where he just is not at a point where I think he can really guard a lot of wings. Like he's pretty clearly a four to me. I, I think you can try and be yeah. aggressive with switching him, but he just gets beat so much. His feet really don't move well right now. And I, I mean, that's something that hasn't really improved from his time at Villanova. Um, so that's been tough. Cause like, even just, I mean, shit, who was I watching in Detroit play the other day? And it was, they just kept attacking him over and over and over again. And it wasn't just him, but like he gives up everything. And I think like he can do some okay things as a rotation defender, but he's just really slow right now. And I think arguably he's at his best when he can, he can try and guard somebody bigger than him. Um, and I agree. What's tough is he, so when the shot is on, really good and I think playing in it it just a more talented offensive team will be beneficial to him the passing is still pretty bad I think the overall feel as an offensive player is still pretty over underwhelming to me um and if the shot's not there like part of what made him interesting in Detroit is they really let him like okay be aggressive in trying to get into your post-ups because like he's really not beating people off the bounce right now um, like it's okay. Even, even if he's attacking a closeout, it's okay. I'm attacking a closeout and then having to finish through contact because I am like, he's not really a good leaper right now. Again, he's not super fast getting downhill. I think that he's made some strides over the last year, but it's at a level where for where the Atlanta team is right now, like, I think this is to me, like, I mean, he's an interesting depth for wing, whatever you want to call him, but like, he's kind of just a, and I don't mean this to sound unfair, but like he's kind of just a, another iteration of DeAndre Hunter with less skill. That's and, what I was going to bring up. And yeah. that's like, I love DeAndre Hunter and he's been better recently, but part of the issue is like, they need guys who can move the ball. Like they need guys who can really continue plays and uh, be uh, intuitive with the basketball and like play off of Trey and, uh, and DeJounte, and that is not Sadiq, like, at all. And I don't – like, I think, again, like, you bring size, and that's interesting defensively, but that's really the only selling point for him as a defender right now is that he's 6'7 and has a little bit of wingspan. And so I think from from that standpoint, sure, like, you add a rotation guy, and that's that's fine. You 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 get size, you get some shooting. Cool. Um, but overall, like, I just – I mean, this was mostly a cost-cutting move for them. And – I continue well, to dispute. Sort of. I, I don't well, know. Well, they, the they jumped. Move so they, was the Houston yeah, deal. they they dropped Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky, and like again, like my point just being like, I don't think that this is anything that meaningfully moves them for me. Um, like AJ yeah. Griffin should still be markably ahead in the pecking order. Um, totally agree. I would. With that. I yep. still think Jalen Johnson should be ahead of Sadiq in the pecking order. Like I. I like Jalen better as a prospect, like Nate McMillan probably does not, but like I, I've been more interested in some of the stuff that Jalen Johnson's done this year, even if he's not as consistent yet, which again, that probably means that Sadiq's higher in the the pecking order. But again, like it just, it, this really does not do anything for me. So the only reason that I would say I probably would go Sadiq over Jalen Johnson right now is that Sadiq is at least like confident firing from three. If he gets it off the catch, yeah. uh, this team is 29th in the NBA in three-point attempt rate. Part of that is like the Nate McMillan archaic gross offense, but also they need someone who they need another guy that's willing to fire from three. 
right? And, and Sadiq will do that. Completely agree with you. Like, if I'm them, like my starting lineup is Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, AJ Griffin, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, and then I'm bringing a Kong Wu and Bogdan and Bay off the bench, right? And maybe even playing Jalen Johnson some minutes here and there. Um, well, no, they still fuck. They still have John Collins on this team. Why do they? Why the do you still have John Hawk. Collins? Like, yeah. Like, well, well no, so see, exactly. Start... That's the problem. Like, they're gonna have so to play you, yeah. him out of position at the three, and the yeah. ball movement is still gonna suck. And like, I just, I it's so, and so I, like, it again, has like, to I be. Think, I think overall yeah, it's, it's a positive move. Like, I think that Sadiq is a fine player who I get wanting to add as a depth guy. But it just like I just don't really, it, it. I'm not trying to be unfair. I just this is not a situation I really like for him or for the. Well, the, they'll start Trey Young, Dejounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John John Collins, and Clint, and then it'll be Bogdan, AJ, Bay, and a Kongwu coming off the bench. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit more sold than sold on that. Like it. Having another guy that will come in and shoot a little bit is valuable. Um, another guy that like sneaky will do that is Garrison Matthews if they keep Garrison Matthews. Uh, I, I've grown to really not enjoy watching Garrison Matthews play basketball. From being grifter, completely man. honest, he's a total hit. The foul like, baiting from him is kind of egregious sometimes. Um, yeah, and like the the. Uh, like, look, that guy probably has to play on the edge. Like, yeah, he probably feels sure. that way in terms of, like, staying in the NBA, right? Like, he probably feels like he really has to do that, right? And I, I don't I don't begrudge him for that. I just don't know that I enjoy watching it either, um, personally. And that's okay. I'm sure that other people that like college basketball enjoy it. Um, let's the, – the Atlanta thing's weird. I guess that – I guess it's fine. I, I don't really have a problem with it like you do because I think that at the end of the day, it's less, if it it's doesn't, less than I have a problem. I think it's just more I continue to just really be underwhelmed by their process as an organization. That I agree. That I completely agree with. What I will say is I think that Bay maybe gives them a little bit more depth to move John Collins in the summer, in theory, if you believe Bay is a four like both of us do. Uh, it also... I just don't think that they're not going to be able to move Sadiq Bay for a second round pick if they have like two seconds in the offseason if they want to, right? They'll be able to recruit most of this value if they have to, mm-hmm. I think. So I, I don't know. I agree with you generally that it's not the best fit in the world, but I just don't like it's it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. Um let's go to well the, the other part of this is did they deal like six second round picks today? I think it was did they, they, well, they, did they dump one to Houston. Houston? Oh, they gave two to Houston. So then I think they dumped seven. Yeah. Because I believe they traded five to the Warriors for City Bay. Yeah. Like that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, not to like overvalue second round picks, but like you probably get an NBA player one out of seven times that you're picking in the second round if you're Atlanta. So I don't love that. Okay. Now to this weird Matisse Thibel, Jalen McDaniels deal that happened uh the charlotte hornets send jalen mcdaniels to philadelphia philadelphia i believe also gets two second round picks from portland in this deal portland receives matisse thibel from philadelphia and then they move svi mckay luke and four second round picks to charlotte uh 
I'll have to look while we're talking to see what the value of those second round picks are. Cause I think a couple of them might be reasonably valuable. The big thing for this deal is that it's Matisse Thibel moving on from Philly. Philly did this in part because it gets them under the luxury tax. Like mm-hmm. Matisse Thibel was making, I'll pull that number up while I'm talking, but he was making enough money to where I believe that this number pulls them just very slightly under the luxury tax. Uh, in terms of their overall cap footprint. Yeah, they're 1.2 million now under the luxury tax after this deal. Jalen McDaniels, I think, has a case to just be a better player than Matisse Thibel at this point. They're both yeah, free agents. I'll in the offseason. say point blank that Jalen yeah. is already a better player than Matisse Thibel. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see. So Matisse has played minutes that have mattered. Jalen has not. And I'm intrigued to see Matisse in a different situation where he is like, I don't know, like he's going to, he was freed up to like really go after guys defensively in Philly. I guess I'm intrigued to see it in a different situation. The defensive value this season so far, Jalen McDaniels has been better than Matisse Thibel though. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think pretty unquestionably for me too. Like I, yeah. um, it, things have really clicked for him this year. I think he started to put some things together last year, but this year it's been really good. The confidence has been awesome from him. I think in terms of a guy who uh, can bring some secondary rim protection, who can be – obviously he's not the same as his brother as a defender, but uh, like he can be rangy and play out at the point of attack. He can just fill multiple roles. He does a lot of things that you want in an NBA four. Um, he, he was low-cost Jared Vanderbilt well. for me, kind of. Yeah. Um, and I think fun. especially for them, like, I think he's a better fit than Jared because of his shooting ability. Yeah. Um, one thing I am interested to see, like, this is not a team that really likes to push the pace a ton. And yep. part of what makes Jalen interesting is when you let him push the pace. Like, not, a, again, part of what, the, exactly like you mentioned, like, a guy who hasn't necessarily played a ton of big-time minutes so far. High leverage um, minutes, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, well, how much are they going to be willing to let him do that? Because he is somebody who really likes to take the ball from the break, and he can make some good decisions uh, coming down and off the break. He can be a little erratic at times too, but like that's what you are trading for like a sixth or seventh man. And I – or I guess more seventh or eighth because Tyrus yeah. Max exists. But like I think I like this because it gives him an option that is not P.J. Tucker because I have had a lot of qualms with P.J. Tucker this season. I get the playoff value ideology, but – I do tend to think it's been overblown, especially last year. Um, so I am very in on this for Philadelphia. So I do think PJ is going to end up playing a majority of the minutes in the playoffs. Cause I do think PJ, the one thing he does really still provide is like man to man, one-on-one defense against good players. Yeah. Right. And that is going to be really, really important for them against guys like Jason Tatum uh, against guys like Giannis occasionally. He's a little bit too small for Giannis. But like those guys, it's going to be really, really important for them to have PJ on some level. But I agree with you in general that having McDaniels is an interesting option. I'm glad you brought up Maxi because I think that that's actually like a really interesting synergistic combination on the bench units because you're right. They don't really like to run because they're very methodical. James Harden's very methodical by nature. Joel Embiid is very methodical by nature. Even Tobias Harris, like, is a little bit methodical by nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrese Maxey's going to go. Like, <laughs> in those second units, like, if you put him with Jalen McDaniels and Tyrese, like, those those two could really go and, like, really push the pace and change the tempo of the game, change 
the way things run. I, I think that's actually kind of an intriguing move for them, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Um, and then from from Portland's perspective, uh, <laughs> like I, I guess I'm okay with taking a – I mean, to me, this is a flyer. Like I don't really know that I – I'm not super high on Matisse as a player, if we're just being honest. Like, I get that he does a ton of cool stuff as a off-ball roamer and defender, but point of attack defense is not good. Um, the offense is just, like, pretty unplayable right now. And I think part of what's vexing for me with this team is, like, part of the reason they trade Josh Hart is because they need a guy in the offense who is right. going to be able to get more shots up on volume. And I think – Cam Reddish solves that equation, hitting the shots. That's an, that's another question, but um, I hope that they can empower him and believe in him and uh, are able to make that work. But like with Matisse, I mean, that just, that, it, that's such a substantial downgrade going from Josh Hart oh, to Cam Reddish. We just need to exactly. be realistic about that. Yeah, right? no, For exactly. a team that like, it seems like genuinely wants to make the play in or even the playoffs potentially, it's a significant downgrade. Yeah, I really did not like what Portland did at the deadline, to be honest. I think so. So here's, here's what I will ask you here now. Um, can you explain the difference for people between Gary Payton and Matisse Thibel? Oh, Gary's a better defender, if we're being honest. Um, yeah. Like, I think I was – and I'm not meaning this to seem asinine, but I was kind of frustrated that Matisse made all defense last year. I don't think it was warranted. Um, like, the year before – the year before, I thought so. But this last year and and since, he hasn't been it nearly – I, I didn't even think so la- that year. Yeah. The year that he made it. Uh, that one, is, the, like, I at least felt better because he played way more minutes. Um, yep. But, uh, like, I think as cool as the steals and blocks are, um, he is out of position a ton. So, like, I think part of what made him work so well was getting to play alongside Ben. Like, when Ben was at his best as a defender, that allowed Matisse to be just an, an absurd hawk off the ball. Like, and, Joe- and that was cool. Having Joel, well, yeah, as a and having Joel, well. exactly. Joel is a backline, but I think to me, like Ben to, has always been like the better regular season defender to a degree. Obviously, not this yeah. year, but um, that year I thought so. And uh, I think what makes it difficult is like who on who in the Blazers unlocking that for him. Like they do play a pretty aggressive scheme at times, but it's not like I don't. Part of the issue is like I think you can really get burned with letting him be aggressive. Yusuf Nurkic is roaming backline and and taking care of this. Like uh, I. I think that he can maybe fit in and do some things, but he really needs to rein in. Like he's not a very good screen navigator in some ways. Like he's good at um, in rear pursuit and like tipping the ball, but it's a lot of, it's much more as my, as my high school football coach would say, it is uh, it's scholarship tackling instead of uh, you know, the stuff that's actually like going to, keep you playing like it's the highlight worthy stuff and i'm not trying to be unfair like i think that there's room for it in some schemes but like for the most part i mean he has been he he, he burns philadelphia more often than not with how he plays defensively i think he's a pretty overrated defender i think he's aggressive and he gets a lot of deflections he gets a lot of steals he's a good weak side rim protector on the ball you're right like he's not that good like he's just not like he he's he is not up to that level. He's not a bad on ball defender in general, but he's not good. Like he's not like a significant plus. Gary Payton's a terrific team defender. He's a terrific on ball defender, like one of the best perimeter on ball defenders in the NBA, along with Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart, Alex Caruso, whoever you want to bring up. Uh, 
the other part of this is he's a better offensive player. He moves the ball quickly. He's yeah, he not a dri- shooter. He can dribble. He can dribble. Like he grew up playing point guard. Like he can put the ball on the deck. He makes decisions well. Like he's just a more well-rounded player than Matisse Thibel. So they downgraded going from Gary Payton to Matisse Thibel, and they significantly downgraded going from Josh Hart to Cam Reddish. They did so at the price of picking up a first-round pick in the 20s. Okay. Sounds good. I get it. Um, yeah, sure. Like it's just not, it's not something that's all that, not all, not all that interesting to me. Yeah. So I'm just very interested to see what uh, this means for the rest of their season. Like, do they believe in some of their prospects that much that they want to play them more? Um, so I, yeah, I'm just, I'm not in love with it for what, what season Damian Lillard's having and what their clear needs were if they wanted to be better. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go to the Jay Crowder move finally. He's getting his wish to go to Milwaukee after being moved to Brooklyn last night in theory. What did they get? Five second round picks from Milwaukee, something like that, to do this? And then what? How many of those went to uh, Indiana? Did any of those go to Indiana? I think one went to Indiana, if I'm remembering correctly okay here i've got it up now it's two go to brooklyn three go to indiana uh i believe that george hill serge Ibaka, and jordan wara are also going to indiana is that right yeah serge got waved to about an yep. hour and a half ago i think so i mean look it's just they traded jay crowder for the guys they wanted to trade for jay crowder to philly they, they did the same deal they just had to add a second round pick and this is what Milwaukee's wanted. It feels like the whole season and they got their guy. Do you think that this tangibly changes things for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is actually a beneficial ad, especially when you factor in that they didn't have to really give up anybody in their rotation. Um, like I think I still would have probably been okay with them making this move and trading Grayson Allen. Cause I like, they have had some issues with, you know, having a bigger wing defender at times, even though like Joe Inglis has given them some good minutes. I still have a lot of questions about that, you know, further on. Um, but yeah, I like this. I think my biggest reaction was like, we waited the, you know, 50 games from his J- boss man, 99's cryptic tweets in before the season even started to just see a Jay Crowder has been traded for five second round picks. And uh, yeah. it was just funny the way that, that worked out. Well, it's funny. Like, look, I think that, you know, Phoenix would have figured out how to do this anyway, right? Like they would have figured out just to add Dario Saric in the steal instead of Jay Crowder in order to make the Kevin Durant math work, right? But Jay Crowder was involved in the Kevin Durant move at the very least, (laughs) which is bizarre and weird. I think Jay Crowder's fine. I don't know if he completely changes the equation for Milwaukee. He he just gives them another good look. Like, I don't think that it's anything that I'm like blown away by, but um, he does fit something for them that I think is solid. So I'm I'm, allows them to go smaller more often. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that'll be big. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. They, they've he needs to be able to shoot like he needs to be able to do a little bit more than just like defend and be able to play the four he needs to be able to shoot and if he can knock down shots he'll be fine okay what 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 in the world did the clippers do today like <laughs> they made some I'm, 2k trades they kind of did didn't they like they traded two second round picks to get bones highland okay sure then they move 
John Wall, Luke Kennard, and a first-round pick swap in order to get Eric Gordon in three second-round picks. I, I don't know about you. I think Luke Kennard's been better than Eric Gordon this year. So I'm a little confused about that. What did what did you think about this? Um, personally, I liked what they did for the most part. Um, yeah. Like I would have, if I were them, I would have rather seen them be aggressive in trying to bring Mike Conley in. Clearly, you know, yeah. Minnesota really wanted to do that, um, which I get. But uh, I like getting bones, especially at that value. I don't think that he's on the the borderline of being a player who like, I, I don't think that he can stabilize an offense right now. Like that's not him, but I do think part of what was exciting about bringing in Mason Plumley and a, they have that synergy from playing together before yeah. um, B or actually, no, they did not play together before. Um, they did yeah. not, but, yeah. um, but, um, but like you have him and, and zoo. And I think what's important with that, yeah. uh, he works really well with a good screener. I think part of what's been a big issue for Bones this year in Denver is having to play with DeAndre Jordan, who just does not – like, defenses don't care. Um, And Zeke Najee as well. Well, yeah, like, defenses don't care about either guy in what they're doing. And I think, like, I mean, obviously Zeke still has to learn a lot of the nuances of screening and being a DHO partner. Like, Bones really worked well with playing alongside DeMarcus Cousins this rookie year. Like, having a guy who can be a good screener and and pop threat. And obviously – Mason and, and Zoo aren't pop threats, but they're bringing in a ton that DJ does not have right now as a roller and as a lob threat that opens up some stuff for him as an interior playmaker, which I think is where you see some of his best stuff. Um, yep. So that's good. Obviously, the decision-making from him can be erratic and all over the place, which is part of the reason Denver was probably willing to move on from him. I like the I like the gamble for two second-round picks. I think he's somebody who can contribute to their rotation right now and just give him another look. Um, Eric Gordon... I, I'm probably on the same boat with you, but I think what makes it more interesting, like even if I think Luke's been a better player this year, I think what Eric brings fits more of what they want. It brings a little yeah. bit more of that rim pressure threat, especially off the catch. I think he's an okay pick and roll playmaker, not a not somebody I'd necessarily call a good one, but he just brings somebody else who can can be a body out there, play their play what they like to do, um, and also. Gets back to where he got drafted and was awesome. Never forget, dude. Clippers Eric Gordon is like one of my you favorite. You were like tapes. 10 years old when that happened. Okay, but I still go back and watch it. Like, that was sick. He was pre injury, Eric Gordon was awesome. Like, he's still a solid player. But, like, I think again, you, he's not the same accuracy shooter. He's not the same movement shooter as Luke, but in terms of depth, in terms of uh, volume, in terms of somebody who's not going to shy away from taking shots, that really helps and again adding that downhill thread i like um and then the mason oh sorry go ahead. yeah well the, let's, let's start with eric because i think that the eric gordon thing is interesting if only because there's a chance he can stay on the floor defensively in the playoffs whereas i i would guess i'm not saying i know this i would guess they felt like luke couldn't really do that mm-hmm. and in that vein i do understand this to some extent right like if you if you really think luke can't stay on the playoffs can't stay on the court in the playoffs. And you think Eric Gordon, who, by the way, has been really, really bad defensively for Houston this year. Uh, if you think that he's going to take a leap now that he's playing in a system where he'll be like engaged and on it again this year. Okay. Uh, okay. Like I, I get it. It's an interesting bet for me. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, 
I don't know if they did enough. Like, I actually think the Plumley thing is the is what's going to help them the most. If I'm being completely honest with it, like having Isaiah Hartenstein last year was huge for their offense, and having Mason Plumley around is going to be just as big in terms of like being able to run dribble handoffs, being able to initiate a little bit from the high post like Hartenstein did last year. I would imagine that's kind of what they're envisioning with this. Yeah. Game. Yeah. And I, I like that aspect a lot. Like you mentioned, I think that brings a lot that I'm excited about because um, he is not a good roller in my opinion, but he rolls hard as shit and that matters. Like he plays with a freneticism and pace that they r- r- rarely ever have in the half court. And that matters. Um, so I like that. For them, uh, especially with him being more of a backup, I believe it was reported that he's going to be the backup to Zoo. Um, I could be wrong on that, but when I, I think it was Om, Om Young Masuk on, on ESPN, so that he'll come in and be the backup. But um, yeah, so I like that because I still think Zoo is is quite a bit better. My biggest thing is just going to be like Mace is he's pretty cooked defensively right now. Um, yeah, in my opinion, like the rim, he's not a rim protector. I yep. think he's better when you play him closer to the level of the screen. I don't think that they're going to do that because they just don't really – they're like, no, do we're just going to switch. We're, it's not us. So, um, But I, overall, like, I do think he brings good things. Um, I yep. like the I like the moves all in a vacuum. I just – again, I, I kind of just wish that they'd gone all out to really get a point guard instead of just getting getting depth. Like that's it's been their thing. Like they just – they have too much depth, in my opinion, continually. Um and that's not always a bad thing, but it's just like when you need to have somebody who can really facilitate and table set, like, again, they, they address some of those needs, but maybe not in the way that I was fully into them doing. Yeah. Uh, Eric Gordon's finally out of Houston. That's nice. Good for him, Good man. Good for Eric. Yeah. Really rough foul on his end last night. That was tough. Um, and he did – I want to be clear about that. Oh, yeah. I had him. people tell me that he didn't foul him. He touched him. Like, he very yeah, clearly, he clearly touched caught him. him. And more importantly, too, like any coach would tell you, don't even contest that. Like, yeah. you you don't want to give that opportunity. Like, if if they break free of your denial, just let it go. Because, A, they're not going to be able to drive. It's only going to be a three. You're going to – just don't give him the opportunity to draw a foul. And it happens. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, okay. Let's go through and buzz through rapid fire. Some of these moves, the new Orleans Hornets get off of the Devonte Graham deal using four second round picks to San Antonio and acquire Josh Richardson. Uh, my biggest fear with this move is that Josh Richardson is going to play over guys like Dyson Daniels and some of those guys. I just hope that, you know, new Orleans does not do that, but it's a good bit of business from both sides. It feels like four second round picks for Josh Richardson and, you know, getting off the Devonte Graham deal for new Orleans. Yeah. I think it's fine. Like you add a guy who can handle the ball a little bit, who can shoot. I would not really call him a very good passer or decision maker. Um, and, but he does bring some defensive stuff that I think that like, obviously that's going to be the problem with Devonte. Like then Devonte has not had a great season to be honest. Like that's not really, telling anything that people don't know. But so I think it's interesting is like a leverage play. Like, okay, we add another guy to the rotation who can be um, – who can play both ways. I still – I tend to be a lot more underwhelmed with what he – with who he is as an offensive player than I think people tend to project him as. Um, I, I think my biggest thing is just like I really wish that they had been more aggressive in this. And I, I'd imagine that they're skid – with all the injuries has 
played a part in them not being as aggressive at the deadline. Um, but it is a little bit frustrating to me. Like I was really hoping that they would maybe do a little bit more here. I think they're, I think they're fine. I really yeah, it's do. Not, it's not like, like awful. I just kind of wish that they, I wish that they had looked at something like I would imagine that they, they probably were one of the teams who was calling Toronto and decided that they weren't willing to give up as much as Toronto wanted. And I yeah. can't really have any issue with that, but um, it's just hard. This team was the number one team in the West before the injuries. And I think that they've yep. flashed real top end ability. So I'm, I'm just interested to see how the rest of the season plays out for them. They're a game out of fourth place. They're three games out of third place. As soon as they get all of their complement of players back, I think they're going to be fine. And I'm willing to bet on the kids at the end of the day. I, I am like, I, I think that Dyson's going to be able to play at a really high level. I think that, you know, Trey Murphy, I, I would imagine that if, if I was Toronto, I'd be asking for Trey Murphy in an OG and an OB deal. And if I was New Orleans, it'd be a non-starter, like just straight up. I think that I would rather have Trey Murphy for two and a half years of his rookie scale deal than OG Ananobi for one and a half and then having to pay him an expansive amount of money. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's going to be intriguing. Then, obviously, Najee Marshall's been valuable, so we'll see what it looks like. Uh, you mentioned to me offline, or maybe even, I don't know, we've been recording for two hours, uh, San Antonio did not make moves. John Hollinger and I have been in a running conversation throughout the last month trying to figure out what salaries San Antonio was going to take on for draft capital, essentially. Uh, Ish Smith for $4.75 million for Denver would have saved them like, I think, $14 million in luxury tax payments. San Antonio didn't take them on for some reason. Uh, I think it's because the Nuggets probably moved uh, most of their second round pick capital remaining in that Thomas Bryant deal to get a backup center, which is a choice in and of itself. Um, we'll talk about that momentarily, but I, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm surprised that San Antonio didn't go out and get draft capital if only because, uh, you know, they're $15 million away from the floor. It, it doesn't cost them anything. Like it does not even cost them money to do this. You just do it. Yeah. I yeah I was kind of a, a little bit surprised too. Uh, you know maybe this partially goes into what we were talking about last week about teams having more reluctance to trade guys on on expirings. Um, but yeah, I I was expecting them to be more of a player at the deadline. Um, and I think it it is interesting too because like you mentioned with draft capital, like they have a ton of draft capital moving forward still, yeah. and they have a lot of guys who are who are young and trying to develop right now. So I do wonder it not not that there was hesitancy to like add to that, but um, I don't think OKC's way of building is for, and that's not me trying to shame it, just for for OKC fans right now. But like, I it is a lot easier said than done to develop that many guys at the same time and see what comes out of it. Um, so I, I am interested just to see you know how they approach the summer too. But um, yeah, agreed. It was kind of weird to see them be so. Uh, like not even like trying like I, what if they'd gone out and been like well we'll we'll do the Justin Holiday and Frank Kaminsky trade like we'll take on your salary give us an extra second like that's the kind of thing where I'd have I would have expected them to be more aggressive yeah. in doing that but yeah for instance like Eric Williamson in the comments brought up that the Nuggets traded Bones so they need Ish Smith I mean they can't play Ish Smith in the playoffs like no. I mean it's just 
it's just not going to happen. And if it does, it's going to be a mess for them. Like they'll, they'll play Bruce Brown as their primary initiator. I would imagine uh, speaking of the nuggets, they do acquire Thomas Bryant. Look, Thomas Bryant's not going to help them on defense. Uh, the defense has been really, really bad, but he does give them a shooter and give them like a real offensive center off the bench, which will help in some regard, at least. Yeah. I think they have the size across the board to be willing to play him some minutes too. Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not too worried. Well, ironically, like that's the exact kind of guy that I would want to see play with bones. Um, yeah. Which is hilarious, but you know, yeah, I agree. Funny how things work. Uh, the Bruno Fernando rim runner era ends in Houston. Uh, if you remember, they started Bruno Fernando over Alper and Shengun at the I start of it. this season because uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is better with a rim runner than he is with a dominant, like passing and scoring, rebounding big. Who who would have thought that? I certainly would have. Uh, I'd imagine that as much as anything, this was a take the club out of the bag trade for Steven Silas for when Kevin Porter eventually gets back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that oh, whole shout thing out, is shut out the Houston front office. Yeah, what an odd time. Okay, uh, one more. Mike Muscala goes to Boston for Justin Jackson and two second round picks. This is like sneaky. One of one of the really smart moves. Yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> um, like I, I think he can if they are. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to play a drop with him for sure. Um, but I think he, with what he brings as a shooter and just a guy who has size and will be in the right places, can't go wrong. Like, I think that's been one of the sneakily, one of their biggest issues has been a third big. Um, yeah. And without just unsureness of what out uncertainty, geez, of either Al or Rob being healthy. I think you have to have a break glass in case of emergency guy for deeper playoff rounds for sure. And more importantly, too, just for added depth, like, okay, we don't have to play Blake Griffin anymore. That's a win. No offense to Blake. He was actually really good last night. Made five threes last night, baby. Yeah. Um, it was his audition to say, don't trade for Mike Muscala. And they said, we're going to do it anyways. Um, but I mean, exactly. Like you add a guy who brings that very proven pop threat that I think really unlocks things for their offense. Um, I love it for them. Odd to see uh, him out of OKC. Yeah. Mike Muscala this year in minutes for Oklahoma city. Do you know what their net rating is? I don't know. Actually, I'm thinking probably Plus pretty 8.6. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, they are quite good with Mike Muscala on the court because their offense with his floor spacing ability just explodes, uh, 119.2. He, he will be really helpful for Boston in that regard. Uh, another really, really high level shooter for the Celtics. Okay. That's it. We got through them all, Mark. I don't know. Do you, do you want to save the spider story for the next time? Or do you want to, do you want to jump? I don't know. What do you think? I kind of want to hear it. I'll be honest. Okay. So, as you know, spiders all over the place here in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I walk into my garage one day, and my wife is an expert. She grew up here. She knows what to expect, right? We see spiders in the house, like, fairly regularly. Like, you know, once or you know, maybe, maybe three times a week, right? Mm-hmm. I'll see, like, a random spider. Probably will kill it most of the time. Mostly because I don't know which ones are dangerous, which ones aren't dangerous. Laura can like look at it and immediately tell me that one's, that one's the one you have to kill. 
or no, that one's the one that like, that one's the one that like helps you. Right. So I walk into the garage. Mm -hmm. I look up on the wall next to our car. I see a spider. I swear to God, Mark, it is as big as like a college diploma. Oh God. Like it is an enormous spider. And I go, Laura, what in the entire fuck is that? And she goes, Oh no, that's a good one. You can't kill that one. That kills the actually dangerous ones. And I'm just like, wait, what now? This thing is like a third of the size of our dog. Like, look, we have a small dog. Don't get me wrong. But this thing looks like it could like cause problems for our dog in a fight. How is that one? The one that kills things? She's like, yeah, it's not. She's like, it's not dangerous. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Like those are the good spiders. I'm just like, wait. So you're telling me I can't kill this spider. Yeah. It's literally like, it looks like it could cause our dog problems in a fight. And you're telling me not to kill it. And she's like, no, it'll, it'll go away or it'll kill something good. And we'll be very happy with it. Uh, where do I live, Mark? Like uh, the worst place that's ever existed, as far as I'm concerned. I'm staying so far away from this. Uh, that is not for me. <laughs> it's God. also the be- like I'm ecstatic to live here. Like this is it's my favorite place. The city of Melbourne is like my favorite place on planet Earth. I'm so grateful and lucky that I get to live here. Uh, the spiders are something I will never get behind. Like I, I lied down to get into bed uh three nights ago and a spider crawled out of like the pillowcase of my pillow and i was like i think i might have to burn the pillow now hell Um, no i am not here no yeah that's awful i would yeah Ooh, i remember my so my sister lives in alabama right uh and tuscaloosa is only like it's it's like could be a lot worse in terms of how like uh I mean, it's humid, of course, but like, it's not yeah. like next to a. I'm, well, there are lakes right by it, but like, where she lives in it is not right next to a lake. But I just remember she, one of her apartments that she lived at there. It was a nice apartment, but like, you just can't keep bugs out in the south. And I woke up one morning to a um, a cockroach that I think was <laughs> at least like at least like four inches, three or four inches long on my front on my door, and I just like. I, I I didn't notice so my dog my dog like jumped off the bed and uh, I'm like waking up and he's just like staring at something on the on the door and is like trying to paw at it I'm like what the fuck are you looking at and I put my glasses on I'm like oh god <laughs> um, and yeah so that I can't handle that if I saw a spider that big oh man it was like high up the wall but I I don't know man no I can't like... with that that's yeah, that doesn't that work for me. That shit's fucked up. Um, okay, uh, I don't, I've not watched any movies really, so I've got nothing on that front. Do you have anything you want to dive into? No, I'm good on my end. Yeah. Okay, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. I'll be working on a couple bigger projects, so I'm hopefully. Well, no, not hopefully. I need to be kind of offline until probably Tuesday. So yeah. Uh, catch up with me then but yeah man i appreciate you as always for having me on it this was a very fun two hours i had no idea it was two hours until you said it was so it's the best it's absolutely yeah. the best uh go to the athletic i wrote 2500 words on kevin durant last night in a fugue state when i was like half asleep uh i wrote 5000 words on the crazy lakers wolves jazz deal 
I will have a bunch more words coming. I think I might write about the Josh Hart deal because I really, really like that for the Knicks in some regard, as we talked about here. Um, might have a couple other things randomly coming. That's all I've got, guys. I'm tired. Uh, we'll have more on this next week. We'll have Spinella on on Sunday. I've got Samson Folk queued up to talk about what in the world the Raptors are doing moving forward for next week at some point. That's what I've got. Until next time, man, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.